Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Morning all, some key dates for your calendar. September 6th, September 20th, and October 22nd. I'm not going to over-confuse you, I hope. No more than I usually do, as the fella says. But um, things are starting to reopen and will continue to do so across September. And indeed, all back to normal. <laughs> by October 22nd, except for masks, apparently. Masks will be knocking around for a bit longer than that in indoor settings and what have you. So live music can go ahead, according to the Mirror this morning, in weddings, pubs and outdoor gigs from next Monday. That's your September 6th date. And the new COVID rules will see workers returning to offices and after school classes will be coming back and to many people who really have been um, very, very, very down about no bingo that will restart on the, things like bingo will restart on say the 20th of September I'm just giving you some examples Michael McGrath said what we'll be moving to is personal responsibility and we'll start moving towards personal responsibility from September 6th and I thought that there was a lot of personal responsibility amongst the Irish public over the last 18 months and in fairness to them all but all pandemic restrictions should be lifted by October 22nd. Now, they put a caveat like they do in everything. And the caveat is, barring a large spike in cases, apparently, they're going to wind up Neffet and the government and the cabinet will take over, um, you know, all sorts of uh, responsibilities themselves. And the Independent this morning uh, gives chapter and verse in the first five or six paragraphs. Like they talk about uh, all restrictions, 22nd of October. They talk about workers going back September 20th. They also say that, you know, COVID passes for domestic use, domestic as in here in Ireland, will also come to an end on the 22nd of October. October now. Overseas travel with your QR cert, that's a different ballgame entirely. But here in Ireland, the COVID pass has gone by again the 22nd of October. So it's all good news in that regard. It's relief for many people, particularly those who want to get back to work in the arts, music and drama. And also a lot of people who are involved in uh, personal, um, uh, you know, gym personal trainers, all sorts of stuff like that who had restrictions upon them. The live music permitted uh, for weddings and stuff like that is also great. Confirmations, trade exhibitions, uh, communions, all sorts of stuff. Also, the amount of people that can go to sporting events will be increased uh, to 50% of uh, stadium capacity. So we'll all see that across September and indeed bowling and indoor classes, dance, drama, music. It's a great article to be reading this morning. They're also going to have a nightclub pilot scheme which will take place before the end of September and September starts starts tomorrow, doesn't it? Yeah, so this nightclub pilot scheme, we'll, we'll see, well, let's try it and trial it and see if it'll work. So uh, live music coming back early next month, and that's the first difference you will see. So all good in that regard, isn't it true? Meanwhile, of course, um, we're looking at people trying to fly out and get a bit of sun, and uh, numbers were up there, I have to say, increased by, like, I imagine you could say anywhere between 120 and 140% month on month when you compare July to August. Not nowhere near pre-pandemic levels, but more and more people flying to sun destinations. So happy to chat about that throughout the morning if you're interested and you want to give, give us uh, your tuppence worth on the lifting of more and more restrictions. And again, uh, those key dates for everybody's calendar, um, you're probably well aware of it. 6th of September, 20th of September, October 22nd. I believe that Michal Martin is due to give um, some sort of a state of the nation 
address later on today. Now, I don't have a time for that, but as soon as I do, six o'clock. Thanks, Lan. Fair play. Thanks, Lan O'Connor. Six o'clock today. So at that stage, he'll be, he'll be voicing everything that I've said and going through the dates and what have you. Now, there was a, a, you know, a mention in the news there at nine o'clock um, of the CUH apologizing to the husband and the family of Marie Downey um, on the death of Marie Downey and her little baby Dara who died a couple of days later, they, they believe that um, one of the lines of investigation, as I was telling you yesterday, was that she had an epileptic seizure while breastfeeding. Uh, they call that a medical episode. And that she collapsed upon her uh, three-day-old infant. Um, and he then was found under it. It's just awful. So tragic. Um, the hospital did apologize yesterday. Um, she, uh, her family uh, was being represented by Dr. John O'Mahony, uh, who uh, was speaking at the inquest yesterday, but it was um, deferred um, until sometime later in the year. So I imagine that we'll have a, a lot more information to work with and hear from a lot more people uh, when a new date has been organised for it. But I'm not sure that they've got, they're going to release that date anytime soon, but it makes the front of the echo today with a beautiful, beaming, smiling photograph of mammy and baby, and it's all so sad. Papers also today talk of issues regarding people being scammed. Can I just give you a few of them, actually? Because I got a press release from the Guardi overnight, and I see the Echo has the story this morning. This is up in Watergrass Hill, but there's a couple of characters apparently were knocking around. Guards are looking for them, incidentally. Um, and uh, they're pretending to be members of the Guardi Shikona, calling to people's houses. This... This is an old ruse that's been knocking around for years now. They're calling to people's houses, pretending to be guards, looking for fake 50-euro notes. Uh, they have a guard badge and everything, and they, they'll call to your house, and they'll show you a number of fake notes, and then ask if they could see any of the 50-euro notes you might have in the house. Of course, if you show them, they'll tell you they're fakes, and they'll take them away. So it's robbery. So the guards want to hear more about these guys traveling around in a small blue van. And then, that's an incredible story, the power of dogs. The dog Rex who is um, part of the Cork City Garda Divisional Drug Squad. Rex, oh my God, doing great work. The Sun has the story this morning. Where a fellow got off a train uh, from Dublin at Kent, a fellow called Markham from Ranala in Dublin. He had 35 grand's worth of, uh, of heroin, I believe. Um, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that the Garda themselves or the divisional unit didn't have anything to do with it. They were obviously maybe keeping an eye on this guy or expecting him to land. But it was actually Rex the dog that sniffed out the 35 grand's worth of heroin. And another story, and I know that I had some Crosshaven residents on the air a few weeks back defending Crosshaven when I was talking about antisocial behaviour down there. But unfortunately, it is true, and there have been issues, particularly across the late summer, down in Crosshaven, down in Myrtleville, down in Fountainstown, down in Fennels Bay. Um, but there's another incident reported, of course, this morning where it happened on the main street. And the last time I spoke of Crosshaven, it it was a brawl and shouting and roaring and drinking and smashing bottles on the main street. So this story is from Saturday night around about half past 11. Uh, guards have also been patrolling the beaches uh, and they also are keeping a close eye on the different villages themselves. But there was one incident which involved a teenage girl who was assaulted by a group of youths, uh, young people in Fennels Bay. And then there's a chap who witnessed a number of antisocial behaviours on the main street in recent days. Now, um, people in Crosshaven, and rightly so, said that these characters, these gurriers, these troublemakers uh, are coming in from outside. Uh, and a lot of the time they're coming down from city satellite villages and what have you. Now, how they're getting down? Probably cars, probably buses. 
but there you have it nonetheless. Front to the examiner this morning reminds us just how expensive it is to uh, actually live in this country uh, because the data that's out now shows that we are among uh, the most expensive in Europe for medication, alcohol, tobacco, public transport, housing costs, maintenance and bills. A lot of the bills and the maintenance and housing costs have an awful lot to do with our damn weather. Do you imagine never having a heating system, living in a country where you had no radiators or you didn't have gas to heat the house or you didn't need a tank of oil at the back? I suppose they call that Mediterranean weather, I suppose. But there you have it. But the charity of Irish people also makes this morning's independent where they're saying that, did you know that different charities that ask for hair donations are getting 25 ponytails a day in the post. Now they talk with a lot of different charities but one of them is the Rapunzel Foundation who I've spoken to on the air. They started the charity over 10 years ago um, and uh, they're quoted in the papers this morning that it's been phenomenal the amount of people who are donating hair. The hair then goes on to be made into wigs for people who are going through chemo. And it's not just for adults, it's for children as well. So 25 ponytails a day, the long, lustrous locks, which could take up to, um, you know, I mean, how long would it take? They're saying 18 months. Imagine it could take an awful lot longer to grow your hair quite long and luscious. Ian Bailey continues to make the newspapers. Uh, I've never seen so many articles about him and by him as I have since the two uh, documentaries. He's saying that he's going to write his life story for the big issue. So that's an interesting story making this morning's echo. And just one or two more. Um, I wonder, should we, should we all try to start a campaign to stop humanizing our pets? Stop trying to turn our dogs into humans. They are family members. I 100% agree with that. But turning them into humans, when you see the amount of things that you can now buy your pooch. There's a story in the mail this morning. It says that now you can buy a detox tea for your doggy Bow Wow. You can buy tasty mutt milkshakes. You can buy wine. Say, for instance, your canine is a wine connoisseur. There is now a wine Clearly there's a beer because I have one or two bottles of dog beer at home. I don't think he likes it, Jack, though. I don't even know if I tried yet. But there's a new beer now and it's top scoring, apparently. It's seaweed beer. I mean, if you wouldn't drink seaweed beer yourself, why would you give it to your beloved dog? But um, there's just a few of them. I'm sure that there's more, but uh, it's all about commercialism and the commercial world we live in, I suppose. But your thoughts on that are welcome. What are the crazy, wacky things and treats that you buy? Some people would buy absolutely anything. They don't even talk to me about clothing or accessories or fashion items. I mean, we all know about those. And we can finally say that Extra Vision is no more. Extra Vision came about in 1981. And I heard in the business news that at its peak, they operated 80 stores around the country. They employed nearly 600 people at the time they closed. And they closed five, six years ago. But it was they were only wound up recently. Uh, the last the last op- efforts that Extra Vision had were vending machines at Super Values. Do you remember them? Do you remember the video, VHS? Do you remember they also then introduced DVDs? Well, there are no more. And, of course, everything changed when Netflix came along. I'd love to come back to Extra Vision a little later on because I'm sure people have many funny and interesting and tormenting stories about fines at Extra Vision. And I bet if you went for a route around the house later on today, don't do it now, later on today, you will find an Extra Vision stickered VHS tape or maybe a DVD or two at home. And do you remember the amnesty? Uh, Or do you remember the kids getting DVDs or videos unbeknownst to you on your account 
and never bringing them back. Then you go in. I got barred from extra vision, actually. I think I was welcome back after a while because the fines were just ridiculously high. I remember going in once and saying, <laughs> what? <laughs> There's 85 pounds <laughs> fines? <laughs> On what movie? It turned out to be some kind of a cartoony, childy thing. Go rooting around the house and you'd find it like six months later. The Neil Prenderville Show. Okay, what was the highest fine you ever had on Extravision? And uh, remember there was an amnesty then where they were saying, okay, okay, we're going to cancel all fines. You're all welcome back. We won't penalise you. Just bring the DVDs and videos back, will you please? And we'll say no more about it. So they gave um, like, like confessional dispensation. At extra vision, if that even makes sense. Anyway, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106 and we'll cover as much ground as we can between now and midday. This is very traumatizing to come upon this, never mind to be the poor misfortunate individual who was found in this situation. Graham, good morning. Hi, Neil. What day, Graham, do you mind me asking? Because I have the, uh, the text a couple of days now. When did it happen? Uh, just for the same. Last Thursday, the 26th of August. Okay, thank you. Last Thursday, in the middle of the day, where were you driving? I think you were going to Glanmire from Cargnavar, was it? That's right, Neil, yeah. Okay. Um, about okay. half four in the afternoon. Okay. Um, the, sun, the sun was splitting the storms, as you know, and um, yeah. I said I'd find a barbecue for the kids, you know? Yeah, good man. And um, so we got on to Super Value in Glanmire, so off we went, um, and we were heading down through White's Cross and down the road there towards Southfield Court. Yeah. And um, just as I approached Southfield Court, um, near the gate, there was a car travelling in front of me. And um, the car just lost control, um, spun around, and I didn't know what happened, obviously, because it happened so fast. Um, I said, did a tyre blow? Was it a fox ran out? What happened there? And I thought I was seeing things, and all of a sudden I saw a man getting up from the side of the road and I had to jam on my own brakes. The man threw himself out under the car in a, a, a suicide attempt oh is what it looked like. God. And you say the first car I had you actually spun around in an effort to avoid the man, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Ended up on the wrong side of the road. Um, the whole thing just happened out so fast it was like something over a movie, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I, I jammed on as well. I had four kids in the car with me um, my own three and my daughter's friend. Um, so I kind of just, it was like time froze for a second and I looked over at the other car and there was a woman in it with her daughter and they were absolutely screaming. So I spotted a farmer's gate. Just you say they were actually screaming, but they were in floods of tears upset. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I spotted a farmer's gate and I had to pull in because where I ended up was right on the bend and I was afraid that if a truck came around the corner, first of all, the kids would have been wiped out. If a truck jackknifed or something, I couldn't just leave my car where I was. God. So I, I made a dap for the farmer's gate, and the woman came over, followed me over, screaming, and I said, calm down. I said, he's okay, I'm going to go up to him now. Um, I said, you're okay, he's okay. So I started running back up towards the man, and just as I approached him, he did it again. And I'm talking centimetres from his head, the wheel of the next car. Forgive me now, I don't mean to be overly graphic or overly upset people, but was did, was he lying on the road? He was. Yeah. He was He was actually, he was hiding in the bush just at the bend. It was almost like a camouflage. So it was like, you're coming on the kind of a, 
it's almost like a blind car running. You know that road is bendy over there. And he he was going into the bush where he couldn't be seen, and he was jumping out. And you know the consequences could have been a lot worse. You um, must, I mean, you you must have felt. You must have been very panicked and felt helpless because, oh, firstly, you I, want to help this misfortunate man, but secondly, yeah. you want to avoid a pileup and 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 more, you know, m- more worries in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Multiple, multiple, multiple fatalities, multiple or, fatalities yeah. in the event of another car coming around the bend or an Arctic or a truck. Exactly, exactly. So, um, so basically, this next car that I almost hit him, um, they were. They sounded like Eastern European accents. They got out of the car to him. They were like guys on the way home from work. And they started shouting at the man. And I said, lads, this man, I said, this hospital here is a, is a psychiatric hospital. I said, I think this man has mental issues, you know. Leave him. I said, it's okay. I said, you know, I just, I just tried to calm him down. Yeah. Um, okay. So they, they kind of, one of them kind of understood what I was saying. So they kind of got back into the car and they took off. Um. But the problem they didn't want to. They was, didn't want to help. Maybe to cam traffic or go around the corner and wave down. No, no, they were a bit hyper. But the thing was, it was right at the bend, so I was I was only able to kind of manage one side of the bend. So the man kind of started switching sides of the road. So I was kind of it was like cat and mouse. I didn't know what to do. There seemed to be no cars coming up the hill. So eventually, car came up the hill, and there was a man. Uh, if you listen now, I have to thank the man. I told him the situation and. He said, yeah, I'll go above the bend and I'll calm traffic. That was the key to a really need was, yeah, was calm and the agree. traffic was just slowing things down because yeah. if people were going slow, he wouldn't have been able to do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So when we got things to slow down then, I went back down to the kids and the woman and her daughter just to kind of reassure them they were still rattled. Um, so I just told them that we were kind of in control of things. So the guards were on the way at that stage. I was after ringing them, um, 999. And they asked me, was I looking for an ambulance, a fire brigade, or a guards? And I just said, send everything, because I wasn't sure what we were going to be dealing with, you know? So yeah, um, yeah. the guards came in eventually, but just before the guards arrived, um, there was a few staff members of the hospital walked out. And um, they just had a couple of words with the man, and he just casually strolled back in, you know? Back was, into Sarsfield's court? Yeah, you saw yeah, you yeah. saw that you saw him going back in. I did. Yeah, that, that's yeah, important. Yeah. You did see him go back in with staff. Okay, okay. I did. I did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Can I just to, as a by the way, how were the kids in your own car dealing with all? You had four kids in the car, I think, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, one of them was only a little baby, so he's not even two yet. Um, but the other three, then I've a teenager there and her friend, and the other fellow was eight, so they're kind of were a bit aware, you know. But thankfully, they were facing down the hill. As I said, I pulled into a farmer's gate um, where they were kind of in the safe zone. So they didn't really see a whole lot, you know. They would have just saw the initial car losing control and then me having to jam on and they saw I know that she was very upset and I know that her daughter was very upset. But a lot of credit due to her, that woman, um, the way that she was able to jam on the brakes and thankfully not, not crash but saved yeah, a life. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know whether she's listening or not. And I know that it'll traumatize her and her daughter for a long time to come. Um, but it was a real act of bravery on her behalf as well, notwithstanding what you did. That was that was seriously Absolutely. brave. You know, she should Absolutely. she should remember that if she's if she's struggling with the memory. You know, struggling. Oh with yeah, that's it. Like, that's that's what I was just trying to reassure. Like I said, listen, you know, you you did what you you did what you could, and he, thankfully the man is still alive to tell the tale. Like, and 
the coffee, he gets the help he needs. Yeah, um, uh, cl- clearly the hospital won't. Clearly the hospital won't um, comment on anything in too much detail. But I imagine that there will be an inquiry or some kind of an investigation um, because there are grounds in Sarsfields Court that they do want patients to be able to use, aren't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah, because there's a lot of land that's pitching for court down there, and there's, there's kind of wooded area and stuff like that, you know. And, and did you say, did somebody, did another woman come along and say that she knew of this happening before? That's the scary part. Um, look, I don't know how true that is, but there was another lady came along afterwards and said this has happened a few times before. And that was the bit then, kind of, it wasn't until I got home, that, that's the bit that scared me. You know, I'm kind of saying if I'm able to drive down there again, am I going to be looking at that again? Or, you know, and look, that man is entitled to a bit of fresh air, outdoor activity, the whole lot, but. I was wondering why he wasn't being supervised, you know. Yes, well, that is it. That is a question that needs to be asked. Uh, you know, this this mm-hmm. isn't the first time that I've heard of people walking out of psychiatric units, not Sarsfields Court. Never heard that before, uh, and I'm assuming that that is what happened. But I certainly have heard stories similar to that out of the CUH and the Mercy, uh, men yeah. and women, um, in the past more than once. But uh, we've sent an email to the HSC, but I don't think they'll comment much, uh, and if they do. It'll be very, very basic, you know, because they don't yeah. comment on individual cases. But that poor man is, is he's clearly, clearly struggling. The poor misfortune. You say, um, I, actually, you know what? I, I don't want any. I don't want to know any details of the man. To be quite honest with you, to protect his, no, uh, his privacy. I, I know you no, did share no. some, but I'm, I'm not going to use them at all. I'm not going to use them yeah. at all. Oh my yeah, God! Yeah. Yeah. And you, how are you dealing with it afterwards? Ah, look, uh, I lost my appetite, to be honest, for a while. Um, but I suppose, looking back then, I suppose, what you have to think of is that, as they say, the cliche, nobody died, you know? That's true, that's true. I mean, and if if, yeah. if the inevitable happened, uh, or the, you know, if the bad result came, I would have been absolutely traumatised. But it could be you a have completely, to look back and say, yeah. nobody died. No, it could be that's a completely it. different scenario we're talking about this morning. When you say you called 999 send, send all services, did, I know the guards arrived, did the ambulance arrive? I mean, when you say all services, did the fire brigade no, arrive? No, because, so when I rang 999, you know, you get through to this kind of, um, this, this almost like some sort of an operator first, and they say, do you require guard, uh, ambulance or fire brigade? And I said, send everybody. And then he repeated himself. In other words, he wanted an answer for me. And I said, just send the Garda. But I, I wasn't sure what we were going to be looking at. Was there going to be a crash? Was there going to be a fatality? Was there going to be an injury? And when That's the guards arrived? Send everybody. Yeah. When oh. the guards arrived, the guards arrived and he was just gone back in. Did they go in? I think they did, yeah. 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 They would it, have had a chat, all right. They, they would have gone into inquire. Right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's important um, that, uh, you know, firstly, thank you for reporting it and protecting the anonymity of the, the gentleman who clearly is, is struggling and, you know, hopefully he's getting yeah. the hope he needs in Sarsfield Court. Yeah, yeah but yeah. also um, it's something that Sarsfield Court, you know, hopefully they'll respond in some shape or form, but need to look at again with regards to, you know, access to the grounds and, you know, keeping people safe within the hospital itself. I think you'd agree with that. Oh, absolutely, yeah, exactly, okay. 100%. Okay. Listen, Graham, thank you so much for telling that story. It's very, very sad, and our thoughts are with that man and, and with you and your family and indeed the mother and daughter who are clearly very upset by it, but they saved a life and they should never forget that. Thanks, Graham. That's exactly. Thank you. Take Cheers. care. Take bye care. Bye. You too. Bye bye. Um, uh, listen, let's if you're upset by that uh, in any way, shape or form, 
Let me give you some helpline numbers. The Samaritans have a free phone number on 116123. 116123, 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year. And Pieta House for people at risk of uh, suicide or suicidal ideation or self-harm. They also have a free phone number, 1-800-247-247. 1-800-247-247. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Okay, in the last couple of days then as well we were receiving texts and uh, some communication from uh, witnesses to an event down in Castle Martyr uh, and we asked the Gardaí for information on this and Garda Press checked with Castle Martyr and came back to us, well, Castle Martyr Gardaí and they said that a man has been arrested in connection with an incident that occurred on the afternoon of Thursday last week, the 26th of uh, August at around about 10 past 3 in the afternoon Gardaí received reports of a male armed with a suspected firearm, causing a disturbance outside a house in Castle Martyr. Um, upon Gardy's arrival at the scene, the man was unarmed. Uh, not sure what happened to the firearm, they don't specify, but they did arrest him, man aged in his early 50s, taken to Middleton Garda Station and detained under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act. And then uh, the suspected firearm with ammunition, and I'm told a quantity of ammunition was later seized by Gardy at the scene. Uh, he then was charged in connection with the incident and appeared before Listowel District Court uh, on the 22nd of August, um, two days later. So that was from Castle Martyr uh, on Thursday afternoon, outside of what I believe was um, a domestic residence, uh, as in a house in Castle Martyr. Uh, he with a gun and ammunition, uh, wishing to do whatever he wished to do to whatever and whomever was in that area. Uh, so that's very, very worrying as well. But these are the kind of stories that uh, we are dealing with these days. Um, and many people say that, you know, I don't want to go into town anymore. I certainly would never go in there at night. You just see too much antisocial behavior. I wouldn't be confusing all of the, um, you know, crowds in Cork with people who are up to no good. A lot of them are just wonderful people, very peaceful people who just wanted to meet their friends and hang out and have a chat and a couple of beers. And, you know, what can you say about that? Even when you say that, people were unhappy with it. But then, of course, you had a very unruly element in there. And unfortunately, sadly, an awful lot of drug use and, you know, people shooting up and using alleyways and lanes and doorways. And you see then the saddest of all is the poor misfortunes who are sleeping. I was in there last week and even in the middle of the day, on a sunny day, in the middle of the day, around about even two and three in the afternoon, you'll see people asleep in sleeping bags in the doorways of now shut Patrick Street shops. And then you have fights in there. And uh, the latest one was actually witnessed by uh, the broadcaster, Joe Seward. Joe, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Was this actually in traffic uh, in the middle of the road? Yeah, it would have been on Patrick Street, uh, maybe just outside Waterstones and... Um Traffic was held up for, I came across it around maybe 5.45 and uh, traffic was brought to a standstill maybe for about 15 minutes, started moving again around 6 o'clock and there was a few guys in the middle of the street. One guy primarily was kind of smashing up um, some signage, some traffic signage and just kept just kept repeating it really and he was arguing with another guy in the middle of the street and there was a number of buses on either side of uh, Patrick Street held up and cars. And uh, as I said, it went on for about 15 minutes. Nobody seemed to intervene and there weren't any guards on the scene. I gather eventually after six o'clock, Gardy came on the scene and that one man was arrested. But, um, uh, it, you know, it just seemed to be bizarre, a bizarre situation in the middle of the day. Um, when you say s- smashing up traffic signs, like are you talking about poles? 
no, it, it was some kind of signage that um, when I came across it, the signage was was already broken up. Um, uh, so it, it was like, you know, somebody had been working, doing some work maybe yeah. on the street and there was some kind of signage there. Um, and every time he went out in front of the bus, he just kept throwing this item on the ground and uh, another guy was with him and they were arguing and then a few people came out eventually and cleared up the, the mess and eventually the traffic, you know, was able to get going again. You know, I was I was in town a couple of times last week and, and this is something that I've noticed an awful lot. You know, people who are clearly troubled or clearly have addiction issues, you can you can see even by the way they walk. Um, it's very sad to witness a life like that. But they, a lot of them seem to have no spatial awareness when it comes to roads or traffic. It's a wonder we don't have more people hit because some of them, some people that I saw last week were literally walking out into oncoming moving traffic. Um, clearly out yeah. of it and just not aware. They just want to get from A to B and they barrel on, you know. Yeah, this man looked looked troubled because to be, you know, to, at, at tea time on a, a Monday evening to be behaving like this, it just seemed reckless behaviour. And, and and as you say, that has been very prevalent around the streets, you know, in, in, in the summer months, disillusioned people who clearly have uh, drug addiction problems wandering around aimlessly, as you say, at times, wandering around in front of traffic. And I, I know this has been raised by Jerry Bottomer in the Shannon. I think back in May he said, let's hope it's not a summer of discontent in the city and he appealed to the Gardaí and the Cork City Council to, to get involved. Well, for some it has been a misfortunate single woman living in her own apartment up around the Marsh area in Grattan Street and her, her life has been destroyed by the people hanging out in her alleyway and lane, you know, shooting up and writing awful graffiti on her windows and doors. I mean, that's a consequence of, you know, addiction problems really ultimately, you know. Clearly, isn't it? It would appear a lot of people who have addiction problems have nowhere to go during the day, uh, and people maybe who are in homeless um, centres that you know they just seem to be wandering around the streets aimlessly, hanging around in certain areas. And there's a danger maybe that it'll become like the boardwalk in Dublin, which has become a a, no, a well documented no go area. It was originally built to. To, to entice tourists. Oh, it's and, just uh, so sad. I was at the railway station the other night and there was two two chaps there, young guys, I'd say mid, maybe mid-twenties, and they could hardly stand. They were swaying uh, and they were just completely out of it. Uh, and they were drinking from what originally would have been a Fanta bottle, but clearly what they were drinking wasn't Fanta and they were sharing with each other. And they were just like, oh, it was so sad. They looked like just two zombies. And I think they were just at the train station looking across the road constantly. Imagine they were waiting to see if they could get a room in a hostel for the night. They were trying to get themselves in somewhere for the night. It was awful. It really was. You know, it's just when you see this, you wonder, God, I mean, for the rest of us, how lucky we are. And, you know, how do they go down that path for which many of them can't recover? You know, would you agree? Yeah, and the, the, the consensus is that, is that this problem is going to magnify post um uh, pandemic and uh, that has become very evident, maybe more pronounced to people. And you know, uh, uh, you started the piece by saying that Cork City has become a no-go area. And you know, no, I'm I'm not saying that. I, I hear it from people on the yeah. air many times saying, "I don't go in anymore. I certainly wouldn't go in at night, and or I'll never go back there." And it's it's so sad because on the occasions that I've been in there, particularly on a sunny day, it's fabulous. But you just notice other things, you know. Try yeah, try I mean, as they may to regenerate the city. Yeah, it became very evident, I think, with the outdoor dining and outdoor drinking, the amount of homeless people who'd come up to you, a lot of them very manually looking for money, but 
it just it just struck a chord and you know the level of homelessness and the level of disillusion people walking around I think that's been one of the most noticeable things that, that I've seen out of the outdoor drinking outdoor dining scene and as I say not all homeless people or, or people with addictions are badly behaved but no clearly yeah. clearly there are some yeah and and if you just finally if you were to rewind the clock back say to this time 10 years ago and certainly this time 20 years ago it was nowhere near as bad which leads me to believe that it's only getting gradually worse and worse it's definitely it's definitely getting worse i mean as we know heroin wasn't a problem in cork and i would imagine even at the start of the the millennium and um, heroin wasn't as rampant uh, as it is now. No. It's certainly escalated, no. and it's just become very evident. And it's shades of Dublin on, on a on a fast escalating scale. And when we hear of a story of Rex the dog then sniffing out thirty five grand of heroin coming off a Dublin train, we now know how it's getting into the market. Yeah, it's you can ask anybody who works with Erin Road Erin the the late night train and um, the nine o'clock train from Dublin to Cork. Uh, has been a well-documented train for people ferrying drugs. Um, this has been highlighted by Erin Rodair and there's been problems in the past. I was on a train a few weeks ago coming on that nine o'clock train from Dublin and two people were arrested in Mallow um, by, there was a plain clothes um, detective probably undercover drug squad along with two guardy who were waiting in Mallow and two people were arrested. So uh, that, that seems to be another um yeah, oh, it is, and it's good to hear those stories. But they're the tip of the iceberg, really, aren't they? Because many, many more are getting through. They might be in cars, or you know, they might be on trains. But certainly, a sniffer, a, a drug sniffer dog um, at Kent Station, it's a start, isn't it? It's definitely a start. Yeah, it's, it's just a sign of the, the the times we live in. But definitely, uh, the heroin problem, I think, has rapidly escalated in Cork, and um, you know, we always thought of it as a Dublin problem but you know it, it continues to get worse and um, only worse going forward worse. you know I, I think just the city centre continues to be dogged by um, people you know as you say shooting up in, in alleyways etc Joe thanks for taking the call as always have a good day for yourself Joe Seaworth the broadcaster actually the guards are looking for witnesses into the issue up in Watergrass Hill because these fellows who are pretending to be guards right in the small blue car they're wearing masks COVID, COVID masks so that helps them in many different ways of course and it helps to build confidence with the person at the door, but also it's harder to see who they actually are. But they have guard badges, and then they show 50 euro notes that they claim to be fakes, and they want to see. They're going from house to house, I guess. Have you any 50 euro notes in the in the, uh, in the home? Because uh, there is a spate of fake notes, and we're investigating. Can we see any 50s you have? Now, I didn't say at the time that the character who reported this, or sorry, the gentleman who reported this to the guards said that he told these characters to leave his property now. And they left on foot, but they were traveling apparently in a small blue car. So do be aware of that, not just in the Watergrass Hill area, but to anyone that calls to your home. And I also hear from Kinsale Neighborhood Watch this morning that there's a, an alert gone out to hotels and guest houses. Please be aware of a couple driving a white D Reg Hyundai with blacked out windows. They're booking into guest houses and walking out without paying. Your man is six foot two with a tattoo on his left hand. They may use different aliases and names, but they're making their way right across West Cork. Get in touch with Kinsale Gardee to report anything suspicious. So um, this would be hotels and guest houses where they're, I don't know, how do you do that? Like with certainly with the hotel, you give a credit card when you book in, don't you? 
I guess the credit card doesn't work or it's bogus or it just doesn't have any money. I don't know how that would work. Or guest house would be very different because a guest house, you probably don't give anything. You just pay the next morning, probably doing a runner early the next morning before anybody's up. Uh, but without uh, doubt, they're possibly also eating and drinking as much as they can or what have you, certainly in the hotels. So that's what also goes on. Listen, just hold those calls back after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Posing the question earlier on as to why, as the years go by, do we continue to humanize our pets? Uh, I appreciate the fact that pets are family members. No better boy to have a dog as a family member and treat him as well, like a family member. But now we have, I've also forgot when I was chatting about the things that we give our dogs. It's not just wine, dog wine or uh, tasty mutt milkshakes and smoothies and seaweed beer, but also Paw which is the equivalent to a human's Prosecco. I don't know whether the dogs are interested in it. They probably are because they love the sweet taste of it and probably all the sugar in it and make them as fat as fools. But anyway, Susie, good morning. Hi, how are you? Uh, you posed the question, what's wrong with spoiling your pooches? There's nothing wrong with it at all. Like, like I think people seem to forget that. Like, for a lot of people, like having a pet is all that they have. So why not lavish on them? There's a lot of cruelty in the world, you know? It's nice to look after them. Um, tea bags, though? Well, I'll tell you now, Neil, my um, my eldest dog, Benny, is 14 and he is crippled in arthritis and we have him on all sorts of pain meds and we're kind of coming to the end of the road with him. But a lady recommended turmeric tea for him and he's like a new dog. He gets a bit of it every morning. And Oh, I, I, I understand what you mean, but that's yeah. just turmeric tea that anybody could have. Like I'm referencing yeah. a thing called um, English break woof tea. <laughs> Break wolf, I, as in PG Tips have it. Uh, like, this is marketing and advertised. It, it is kind of marketing, and it's probably a great way for people to break into the, the whole doggy industry because there is a lot of things you can do now to make money off people's pets, and people that really lavish their pets will will buy these things. But like, to be honest, I wouldn't be buying these wolf teas for my dogs. But Would I you buy a mutt milkshake or a super Fido smoothie? Like, it depends what's in it. Like, if there's stuff that's in it, like, that's good for them, I'd try it. But, like, my two are so fussy anyway. Like, they'd probably just throw it back at me because I have been silly enough to buy the dog Prosecco and the dog beer and then pour it into a bowl. And I'm delighted with myself that my dog's having a beer next to me while I have a glass of wine. And the dogs are just looking at me like, what is wrong with you? And is that why you do it? Do you want to have a drink with your dog? No, not at all. <laughs> no, it's just, you just see these things and you just kind of want to kind of lavish them and treat them. You know, you don't want to... You know, like people nowadays, like with lockdown, Neil, like um, I know you have a pet yourself, like you probably found him a blessing during lockdown when you have nothing else to do. This guy would come out for a walk with you every day and know he's there to greet you in the yes, morning. Yes, but, but, like in, in, but in my head, unlike the heads of the rest of the family, he's just a dog. Uh, but he's more than a dog. He's a companion. No, he is all of those things, but he's not a human yeah. being. Like, what well, are we going to do when we start training them to walk on two feet? No, I completely agree. Like, humanising animals is completely wrong. But, you know, like, they are sentient beings. They do have a capacity to feel pain and love just like us. You know, I don't agree with, like, making them stand up on their two feet just because I stand up on my two feet. I do agree with having them, like, as great company and, like, spoiling them because, for me, like, I don't have children. Oh, listen, are, I know, and you love team. your dog and we love our yeah. dogs. I'm not saying anything, yeah. but what about doggy chocolate, hats, jumpers, doggy sports jerseys supporting your county team? Mention Posseco. Apparently, this is, this is doggy jewellery. Well. A doggy you know, watch. 
well, I wouldn't put a watch on my dog now. <laughs> but like, you know, like collars and stuff like that, like they come in all sorts of things now. You can get like necklaces with like your dog's name on it with the phone number at the back. Like, you know, it's just it's just another collar. You know, it's not a doggy necklace as such. You know, well, d- I wouldn't call it. Um, but do and dog d- jumpers as well. Like, you know, like it, some dogs do have, like, do feel the cold. Like I have a chihuahua that I'd say if I put him out, out the back in the winter, he'd have a heart attack. Hold on there. Don't go anywhere. Jamie's 13. Jamie, good morning. Morning, Neil. Did you ask your mammy or your daddy if you could talk to me? Yeah, I did, yeah. Fair play. Just what Susie mentioned there. She said the doggies get cold in the winter. Does your doggy, uh, either Harvey or Oscar, have jumpers? Yeah, they actually both do because uh, Harvey, he goes, he just gets really cold in the winter. He'd be shivering and everything when he's outside. So we put them on him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can't argue with that. I mean, it would be like me going out, not being allowed to have a jumper or a coat, I suppose. <laughs> what else do you do with your doggies besides give them jumpers? Well, we, we, we pamper them with lots of treats and uh, we, we always give them brushes and they really enjoy it. Okay, a brush is lovely. It's like a bit of a massage for a dog. But what kind of treats? Well, we, we give them like dentist sticks and, uh, you know, all these, like, all these dog treats that you can get. And uh, you can, we get them like Christmas kind of ones that you can get in the shop during Christmas time. And, uh, yeah, they really enjoy them. But are, are, they, are they overweight from those? Because vets no, will tell you, you know that those sections in the supermarkets with all the doggy treats? Well, we, we don't Ve- give them too much and we also walk them a lot. Because vets will tell you, don't buy your dogs those treats. They're full of sugar. They're full of stuff and it's bad for them. You get dog diabetes and they'll get fat. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of the same for humans. It's all in moderation. Like, Yeah, but if you have four, if you and your brothers, do you have brothers and sisters? I have one sister and okay. uh, I, I call the dogs my brothers as well. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to win this discussion of that, you can be sure. But let, let's say if you have a family with four kids in it and a mammy and daddy and they're all independently buying this little dog treats. <laughs> all of them stuffing all these treats, bringing something home and I bring something home and she does and he does and everything. What do you think then? Well, we like as I said already, like we we burned them for half the walk, so uh, I I don't think they'll get overweight from the treats. We, uh, we don't give them too much. And are you a great lad then to go for walks with the dogs? You don't have to be encouraged or anything, no? Yeah, I, I go a lot of the time for walks with the dogs on the beach and everything because I live in Garyville. How was your summer, Jamie? Did you enjoy it? It was very good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm uh, back to school tomorrow now. Back to school and, tomorrow. Uh, what class? I'm going into second year. Oh, you're kind of back early, aren't you? For secondary school? Well, I was back yesterday for two hours, just kind of as an induction, but uh, we're back tomorrow for like a full-time table. All right, well, good luck with it. And tell me, what did you do over the summer? Anything interesting with the doggies? Did you go anywhere with Harvey and Oscar? Oh, we did loads. We uh, we went for lots of day trips um, to Kerry and West Cork, and we went down to Dunmore East as well in Waterford, and we did lots, really, with the dogs, and... Uh, because it's great that you can bring them with you. And come here, do your dogs swim? Because my dog, Jack, doesn't swim. Well, uh, Oscar is a big swimmer. He loves, he's the retriever. He, he loves swimming in the sea, but then Harvey won't go near it. He'll drag why. you away. I wonder why. I, I don't know. I don't know. Is it just the type of dog, maybe? I'm not sure. So if you threw a stick into the water, your retriever would go in after it? 
Yeah, Oscar would just run in for it. Like, yeah. Ah, oh, lovely, jubbly. All right. Well, listen. Thanks for sharing. Much obliged. Lovely chatting with you. Best of luck with second year. All right. Thanks, Neil. Thanks very much. Isn't he lovely, Susie? Isn't he the loveliest? Isn't he great? Friend? Yeah, it's lovely to see like uh, like teenagers and stuff loving their dogs as well. Yeah, you know it's great. He's obviously brought up very well. Yeah, but I mean that's fine. He gives the odd treat or what have you, but he doesn't engage in. You know that there's doggy perfume. Did you know that? You see, when you bring your dog to the groomers, like they will spray like perfume on your dog to make him him or her smell nice as well. You know, it's um, no, I wouldn't be going around like spending hundreds of euros on I don't know Chanel or something for a dog, but like I don't see anything wrong with trying to make your dog smell nice. You know, and well, if you want your dog to look nice, then you should be buying because it's available in the market dog nail varnish. I, I don't agree with that. Now, to be honest, I. You know, like, if it doesn't do any harm to your dog, fine. But, I, you know, it's it's not for me. I have two boys anyway. I couldn't put nail polish on them. Oh, you can. Anything goes now. Not <laughs> a bother. That's true, yeah. You can also, yeah. I know you don't, you don't have a cat, do you? No, no. Okay, because if you did, and you want, you know how you wanted to have a drink with your dog there? You said at one stage you wanted to have a, a beer with him and... I well, didn't say that. You kind of did. Nice. You kind of did. did not. Well, if you, had, if you had a cat, you can now buy a table with a hole in the middle of it um, for yeah. your cat to pop his or head up through the hole to have dinner with you. So there are cat tables now as well where they can be part of the family at mealtimes. Sarah, look, do you know what now? Each of their own, you know, like it's, wouldn't it be a lot worse if they were abusing that cat, you I, know? I know that. I know that. <laughs> I personally wouldn't like to have a cat on the table when I was having my dinner, to be honest, but each of their own, as long as they're happy. Do you know, there's a lot of cruelty out there, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see. That is a good point. Well made. Well made. Okay, off you go now and buy some Bowser beer. Some bow beer. I have it in the fridge already, Neil, for Saturday night. Like, is it alcohol? Would he be singing? Would he be singing the Fields of Athen Rye after like? Yeah, well, I I have a vicious dog, so I'd say if what he's not vicious, he's just a bit um, contrary. So I'd say if he'd a few beers now, God knows what he'd do. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) you couldn't trust him. Take care, Susie. Take care. Lovely talking to you. Back after ten, get involved in the conversation. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. Imro Music Station of the Year. You're on Cork's Red FM. Okay, I want to say good morning to uh, John, who's over working in vineyards in France. And um, I was chatting about, uh, apparently, I was chatting about President uh, Emmanuel Macron. Uh, on, uh, I think it might have been Friday with regards to, uh, I thought that um, uh, John actually got in touch with me originally, more to do with um, President Macron being in Dublin, holding up traffic because he went for a walk. But John actually came back to me and said it was more to do with uh, uh, some comments you were making regarding the president and the French and the Tuscan de Plant and the Sophie Tuscan de Plantier case. Um, and he just came back to say that. Listen, I'm sorry, I can't actually remember what what I said about the actual case and the involvement of the French in it, but whatever it was, thank you for, for, for clarifying it for me because uh, I wasn't 100% sure. And But listen, one thing you did say, and it's lovely to have you listening over there as you're picking grapes, he says, you're welcome to come over here if you want to help us to pick the grapes in two weeks' time. That's got to be hard, hard work. I mean, you don't have a machine for that? I guess you don't. Uh, but anyway, listen, um, uh, if I find myself at a loose, at a loose end and you want to pay my flight... Gladly come over. Uh, not so, I mean, picking them as grand. I'd say it'd be very good as a crusher, you know, jump in there and stamp on the grapes. But morning to you all the same, John, and 
all those that are with you. Um, yesterday, just as we were chatting about all sorts of different things, you tell your children, you know, uh, the little white lies, like one of the best ones was, of course, uh, only the only reason you hear the whippy van playing music is to let kids know that all the ice cream is gone. You know, the things you tell your kids, uh, the black tongue and stuff. And then somebody mentioned, uh, and it was actually mentioned as the booty man on air. The booty man will get you. And then the lads here were saying, what are you, what are you talking about booty man? The word is boogie man. Somebody actually suggested by, um, uh, on Twitter, I think, it may have been something to my Instagram page, that the word booty man is like somebody who's popping around for a quickie. Of course, <laughs> we were not talking about that. Uh, but we decided then to put it up on Twitter and started a Twitter poll as to, is it booty man or boogie man? Uh, and unfortunately, for some unknown reason to me, 82% of you guys have said down through the years, boogie man. So I and another few, there's only 18% of us, have always heard of the booty man. So, Emer, take a bow. You were right. It's boogie man. And many other people texted to say the same. Up in the north side, it was a boogie man. Um, really? Forget the booty man. We had a kibo, a kibu. A kibu, maybe? Another one says, it's neither the booty man nor the boogie man. It's the bogey man. But an interesting one from Kathleen says, the booty man was always known to us as the booty man. And it will be forever the booty man. Booty man was a very scary word to us as kids, I can tell you. What are you smoking, man? It's always been the boogie man everywhere. No, no. There's 18% of us that don't agree with that. Anyway, lines open. Text 0868104106. uh, was there another poll we put up as well? Oh yeah, you're being very magnanimous in defeat. We put up a second Twitter poll because we disagreed also, myself and Emer, as to whether you put butter or mayonnaise into your tato sandwich. And uh, that was a resounding success for me. In fairness, thank you all. 98% of you said it's butter. And only 2% said they'd put mayonnaise on the tato sandwich. So 98% with sense and 2% <laughs> Without. <laughs> anyway, back to the phone lines we go. And this is just a quirky comment I made this morning about uh, over-humanising your pets. Billy, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. And Billy has pet essentials in Carrigaline. And the pet essentials includes pet cologne. Is it? Cologne? Pet Perf- cologne. Full range of pet colognes. They are very popular products. Perfume, uh, is it? Uh, not, no, it's, it's just a cologne, basically, that they put on the back of the dog's neck. Now, I always struggle, as, even as an adult, to know the difference between cologne and aftershave. I know cologne is cheaper than aftershave. Maybe it's in different strengths, so perhaps that's what it is. But I, I see you have one on the shelf there, and this might be a typo. It says, Old Spice Cologne for Dogs. Are you serious? Yeah, well, it's actually Old Spike so I'd say it is, it's on the bottle. It's old, So it's just a play on Old Spice. So obviously they're getting around the trademarking by putting Old Spike on it. Because it's the same uh, font. And Kennel it, number five as opposed to Chanel number five. Kennel number five. Kennel number five. And people buy these, do they? Absolutely, yeah, they do. I mean... Look, a lot of look for, for, before we before we go into too much detail. I must say at the at the very outset that that ninety nine point nine percent of people that come to our store, it's all about the health and welfare and well being of the dog. Like they're you know it's they they want the best for their dogs. Um, with these particular products, it's 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 the smaller breed dogs that may need a lot of grooming. 
the likes of your Bichon Frise. Oh, uh, the, the little Maldi. ones that go into the designer handbags, is it? Well, they, they wouldn't be that small, no. They wouldn't be that small. And I don't have any customer that carries a dog in their handbag. <laughs> that's more a New York thing, Neil. <laughs> I don't think that's come over to Cork yet. Oh, you've, you've, never, you've never... I've seen them in Cork. I've, I've yeah, seen, I know. Yeah. I haven't seen anyone come in here with a, a puppy. No, I look, to be fair, we have seen some people come in with maybe nine or ten-week-old puppies and they have them in a little bag just at the very start. But okay. no, it's, it's, look, it's not something we'd encourage. Dogs need to be walked. Okay. And... Uh, is it men and women would buy the colognes and things like that for oh, absolutely yeah yeah absolutely particularly now as I said these kind of dogs that would have the fluffy white coat that need to be groomed quite regularly they like them smelling well so after they're groomed they'll give them a small little spray on the back of the neck of these little colognes just a tiny little squirt I, I, understand, I can kind of understand that because it's an awful lot better than wet dog smell that, absolutely you can't get wet dog smell in a cologne I guess no yeah, no, you can't. You can't. No, 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 no. That would defeat the purpose, I think. <laughs> okay. So, bearing in mind that the 99 or whatever percent of people come in looking yeah. for nutritional advice with regards to healthy food for their dogs, yeah. You, yeah. is there anything else you carry besides the colognes and perfumes? Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of little novel things. Um, I suppose just on the point about humanizing, what we're finding, particularly as you mentioned, there, know, with the foods... Um, they are, they're following human food trends. So we have a brand here now on, on, on the shelf at the moment, and it it's, uh, has a blend of kale and quinoa with natural turkey. And we also have another one with lamb and a blend of sweet potato and chia. And, are they, and do they actually have lamb and sweet potato in them? If they says oh, it on the bag, they must absolutely. have. Absolutely. They do, absolutely they do. But it's just funny how they're... Now, there'd only be uh, minuscule amounts of the kale and quinoa, but it's just they're trying to... They're targeting a certain market, the millennials who, who, who are eating these kind of things themselves and, and, and want their, their pets to kind of uh, follow the same trends, really. And look, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a, it's, a, it's a good product and it is good for the dog, but there certainly are pet... They're, they're following the human trends. There is a market for it, clearly, and companies are tapping into it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's yeah, probably yeah. a term or a name for it. There probably is, but I'm not. I'm not familiar with. Well, there, there, there isn't at the moment. If you probably. want to coin a phrase now, Neil, you might make a couple of quid. I think it's probably pet essentials. I think you have the name. I'd say <laughs> down in Carrigaline already. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, the big, the big area grooming now is a big, big area, and that's where we're seeing a lot of growth in, in like all the different types of, um, you know, there's, there's a product now for every type of coat. You have dog conditioner, you have a curly coat, you have, you have, you have shampoos for white. Uh, white dogs you, you've a multitude of products that's a huge hugely growing and area and do people buy them believing that they need to get a specific shampoo depending on the colour of their dog really yes really yes. Like, I'd reach yeah. for any I'm a human being I'd reach for any bottle of the stuff I know I know but that's the way it's going and and there's a, another brand of dog food that are actually that have uh, products for specific breeds so you're going down the road of where where back in the day you'd have a bag of dog food for a dog and that's it. Whereas now you can get uh, a breed-specific product for a pug, Chihuahua, Bichon Frise, Cavalier King Charles. And is that important? Is that important to buy food that's, that's manufactured and marketed for a specific breed? Does it no, matter? No, not necessarily, no. I mean, there's plenty of good foods out there that are a general... Uh, food for, we'll say, a small breed dog in general. I think this just this particular company. There, there. It's just look. It's marketing. It's that. It's marketing. It's what it is. There, there wouldn't be a massive difference between each of the products. 
but some people like if they have a pug or if they have a Shih Tzu and they come into the store and they see a food specifically for that breed, that's the one they want. It's amazing the change and it's probably a lot of kindness to animals in all fairness. It's, this, is oh, ground, this is grounded in kindness but we're a long way from a can of Master McGrath the garage like, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. Oh, we've moved on. Uh, we're, we're way past that. No, but as you said, it is grounded in kindness. People just want the best for their animals. They want to feed them the best. They want to care for them as well as they can, which is great. But look, there's some off-the-wall stuff as well. I mean, some of the stuff that we've been asked for has been just completely uh, off-the-wall. I have to ask, like what? Um, so we've been asked for a tuxedo for a dog who was going to carry a wedding ring down the aisle um, um, at a wedding, so a tuxedo. We've been asked for wedding dresses for female dogs. <laughs> so we've, we had, we had um, a few, about two or three years back, we had two dogs that were getting married. Would you believe? I do. I remember. Cover, I remember covering the story, and I remember yeah. the story of the dog carrying the wedding ring up the aisle as well. Yeah. So that um, onesies and robes now are big things as well. People want onesies for their dogs, and they want robes. So basically, after they've been battered, that they can wrap them up nice and warm. So they're they're um, being sought after. Um, prams, buggies. Again, not something that. I personally agree with. I think dogs. <laughs> do people actually go? Do people actually go out with a dog in their own buggy and push the buggy? I've seen one. I've seen one person doing it in Cork, but it's quite common. If you look at Central Park in in New York, they're everywhere. But they're I thought you were place. supposed to walk your dog. Yeah, absolutely, you are. Of course, you are. I mean, dogs need exercise. Look, at the end of the day, they're not they're not supposed to be in a pram. But we've been we've been asked for prams. Um, nappies is another thing. Actually, we've been asked for a lot recently, particularly for uh, puppies. Now, you can buy training pads, which are basically flat nappies that go on the floor. So if the dog has an accident, you're winding me up, man. You're, yeah, that, but they want they want no nappies that the dogs can wear. So um, yeah, we've been asked for those. But surely that's cruel. Um, well, look, a dog is going to rip something like that off, you know, and, and it's, so it's, look, it's not practical, basically. It's just not practical. So, um, yeah, it's not. It's so not would they, would they have seen maybe a pop-up or an advert on social media or something that there is such a thing as a dog nappy and then into you to buy them? More than likely, more than likely, or else they've confused it with another hygiene product. You can get a dog hygiene product. So basically for female dogs that are in heat, sometimes you have a bit of spotting and you can buy, you can buy something that will uh, why, cover that. Why, you know, do so they want, why do they want the nappy at all? Is it because they're at work and they don't want the dog pooing on the carpet? Or Explain to me yes. why they would want it. Exactly. Look, what you'll find, Neil, is you'll find maybe some, uh, a young couple, they have a dog, the dog is in an apartment, it doesn't have access to the outdoors, um, and they might be out for a few hours, and, you know, yeah, that, that's, that's probably the reason, you know, that's, that's more than likely why they're looking for something like that. Yeah, but you wouldn't put a, I know it's not the same, but you wouldn't put a nappy on a baby and leave the baby at home for a few hours in a dirty nappy, like, why would you do it to a dog if you love the dog? Yeah. And absolutely, and look, that's why there. That's why I mean, there, there isn't such a product. So, but it's just something that we have been asked for. But you're, you're spot on. Yeah, you wouldn't do. What that about doggy it. chocolate, um, paw seco, doggy jewelry, doggy beer, milkshakes, smoothies? I think actually, I mentioned a smoothie. Forgive me for interrupting, but these are not kind of sweet um, strawberry smoothies for the dog. They this one I'm referring to actually has chicken broth. And fish oils in it, and I think there's yeah. another one probably is a beef variety or a, you know yeah. stuff like that. But anyway, any any of yeah. that? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, we we don't stock that particular product. We do stock the doggy beer at Christmas, and it it is a non-alcoholic product. It's a kind of a malt-based product that uh, that people just like to get at Christmas. Just <laughs> it's a novelty, really. But you know, it's it's not going to do the dog any harm. It's it's a non-alcoholic malt-based product. Um, we don't. We I haven't seen the smoothies. We sell. We do sell the chalk drops as a little treat, but again, it's dog-friendly chocolate. Um, we have a little woofens, which is a, a play on muffin. It's a, it's a dog woofen, so it's basically a, again a cereal-based uh, dog treat in, in the shape of a, a muffin. So we sell those. I'm waiting um, for somebody to text me here saying that there are children starving around the world, and this is what we're giving our dogs in Ireland. True. Look, yeah, that's a very valid point. You know, there's a lot of money being spent on, on animals throughout the Western world. And uh, unfortunately, there's, uh, yeah, there are people in need all over the, all over the world. And yeah, that, look, there's an argument to be made there, certainly. Billion dollar industry, I'd say. Multi-billion dollar industry, right? Multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, in, in Ireland alone, I think we're in the, we're in, we're in the billions. Uh, in, and particularly since, since lockdown, I mean, business has gone absolutely through the roof since lockdown. You, know? you must meet some very interesting characters in your line of business. Absolutely. <laughs> There's a book in it, Neil. There's definitely a book in <laughs> yeah. it. We covered a couple of chapters there already, I think. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Okay, I'll let you get on, Billy, at Pet Essentials in Carrigaline. Um I mean, would I be able to have a, a spray of the old spike Oh, absolutely! Yeah, absolutely. Once, once the once the people in the office uh, don't don't mind, I think you'd be okay. But would I get away with it? Like, how much is it? Uh, it is. Just let me see here, and I will go back to the shop. I think it's. Uh, so it is nine euro. Oh, for God's sake! The last bottle that I bought, Lacoste, was nearly eighty euro. So um, there you go. I, I yeah, maybe. Well, I'll send you in one. You can have a little spray. Would you mind? Not a bother. I can't wait. <laughs> Old Spike Cologne. <laughs> Have a good day, Billy. Take care. Lovely. Thanks, Neil. All the best. Bye. Bye. <laughs> He's a great chatter, that fella. Trish. Can you hear me, Trish? Okay, I'll pick it up after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Yes, indeed. You can also email neil at redfm.ie and I'll plough through some emails in a few minutes' time. We're going to stick with our phone calls. Danielle's standing by. But first up, Frank, good morning. Hi, good morning, Neil. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, you would have an alternative opinion to, say, perhaps my own with regards to humanizing our pets, is it? <laughs> um, slightly. Okay. Um, look, okay. I, I've, I've uh, grown up with dogs my, my entire life, and um, we, we've always, uh, like, obviously starting, uh, we've, we fed the, the dogs the basic food uh, with a bit of rice and um, go, go back to when I was a child. But nowadays, there are better foods and better shampoos and uh, obviously better treats that you can give your dogs. I mean, they become they become part of your family. They, they, uh, they like your kids, you know, so... Uh, you you only look out for the best of them. Um, like for 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 my dog, uh, his skin's a bit sensitive, so there's shampoos out there to make sure that the dog doesn't get a bit of an irritation scratch. Just move around a bit there, Frank. Move around a bit. Okay. Well, can you hear me any better now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're just breaking up a little bit. You were making the point that shampoo, special shampoo, is important for dogs. Hello. Yeah, I'm just making the point that you said that shampoos are important. Was that what you were saying? 
Yes, yes. Um, I mean, uh, there, there's dogs that will literally rip open their skin and create wounds, and you'd have to take them take them to the vets. And I mean, that that's another bull on its own. Um, so yeah, I think if if we go to the right measures to look after our pets, feed them right, uh, wash them with the correct stuff, and you know, occasionally give them a really nice treat, but I, I, I don't see. Uh, a big deal in that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely, yeah. I suppose, the odd here and there. But I was giving off a list of products now that all were at one stage only for human beings, whether it was wine or milkshakes yeah. or beers or, or smoothies or an incredible range of food with like very, very, very <laughs> elaborate <laughs> ingredients in it. Yeah, look, I mean, some of the ingredients do go a bit overboard. I, I will be honest, I've seen some of them on the shelf and I just have a good old chuckle, uh, point it over to my wife and we have a good laugh at it. Um, <laughs> but then, then, I mean, you get companies that do the little pup cups uh, with a, a little bit of milk froth and stuff. So when you go get your cat. Your, your cup of coffee, you get your dog a little bit of a treat. I mean, it's, it's nothing major, but it's, it's something cute, you know. It used uh, to be a bowl of water on the ground, but now it's something a lot more elaborate. <laughs> <is it? laughs> uh, look, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's gone a lot, of, uh, a lot more elaborate, but when you get these people dressing their dogs up in wedding dresses and tuxedos, that, that is going a bit too far in the, the, the nappies. That, that's just a bit, um, a, a bit silly. I there's mean, a there's a lot more than just that. After that. <laughs> there's a lot more than just that. I mean, I could go on all morning talking about that. Um, but listen, this is not about ridiculing um, yeah, people who love their pets. It just isn't. I mean, the, yeah. No, look. I mean, I heard. Uh, I heard you mention uh, with regards to the, the thousands of children starving around the world and the amount of money being made on these exorbitant products. Um, I figured, you know, it's, we, we can only donate so much to help the kids around the world. But when when you bring a pet into your life, you 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 basically promising to look after that pet. Um, so if if you do take it a little bit too far, hey, you know what? You're only doing what's best for your dog. Yeah, but there is also now a dog ice cream. It's called Frosty Paws. An ice hey, cream especially on a hot on a hot day if it's good for my dog and hey, it's something cool. Hey, why not? Um, what about Old Spike or Canel perfume? Uh, uh, look, I wouldn't buy it for myself, but. Some dogs do get really stinky, and if the people okay. want the dog to smell nice, okay. well, look, but I, I, I wouldn't buy it myself. I, okay. I would be honest there. Right. <laughs> thanks for listening. Lovely to chat with you. Have a great day. Uh, Take thanks care. a lot. You too. Take care, Cheers. Frank. All the best. Uh, Diana. Hi there. Uh, doggy buggies. Okay. All right. Talk to me about them. I thought one was supposed to take the dog for a walk. Exactly. Now, you, our dog is now 12 and a half. He has slightly wonky shoulders and where he used to walk the equivalent of about a mile without any problem. Now, after about a few hundred yards, his shoulders start to go a little bit awkward on him. So he decides he's going to take a rest. Was he got arthritis or something like that? Uh, yeah, his legs, he was a rescue and we got him when he was about nine months old. His front legs were kind of a little bit, a little bit wonky, a bit bent. And it's knocked into his shoulders now. And um, basically, I know that I, he's a little bit too heavy for me to pick up and carry. <laughs> so when he gets to the end of his walk, if I, I've 
um, if I had something I could put him into for the last hundred yards to get him back to the car, <laughs> it would make life easier for him and for me. Okay. And I'm not going one instance saying a dog should be put in the buggy at the start of the walk and left in the buggy the whole way of the walk. It's just that it would be easier to get him back to the car if his legs start to go wonky. So do you have a dog buggy for that purpose? No. Okay. I just take the walk very slowly and when he gets a bit tired, he just sits down and I wait for him to decide that he's ready to move again. So what could have taken us maybe 15 minutes on a walk will now take about uh, 40 minutes. Uh, the misfortune. He's slowing down, poor old devil. Oh, he's slowing down big time. We actually bought a dog ramp to get him into the car, into the boot of the car easily because, again... He was a bit awkward to lift and he's now getting used to it. <laughs> and now that you know that there is such thing as a doggy buggy, would you purchase? Um, would I, you feel embarrassed or self-conscious or mortified? It wouldn't bother me in the slightest. I'm, it, it's in the back of my mind. He doesn't need it yet, but it's in the back of my mind that he probably will do in the next year. <laughs> <laughs> do, you know, do you know what we have? I'll be shot for saying this. It's a dog camera. I think somebody gave it to my daughter, I believe, at, at Christmas time. It's a small little unit that sits on the floor, right? But if the dog is on his own in the house and you, it has a camera in it. I'm oh, quite, yeah. I'm quite, I've, I've have you seen, heard those? I've seen those, yeah. Okay, so you can look at your dog when you're out using an app on your phone to watch him. Um, yeah. I think, I think you can call out as well. I think you can. I think you can interact with the dog on one of those. But and it has it has a little draw, little drawer on it, and there's a button you can fill the drawer with little dog treats or little you know nuggets of dog food, and it'll oh, it'll spit them out. It spits yeah, them out. I've seen I've seen those on TV and stuff. But to be honest, I'm not that. We're not that tied into the dog that uh, we do that. He's quite happy if we're going out. We leave him in the utility room and he's quite happy to be there for a couple of hours if needed. Um, but he's, you know, he's genuinely a happy dog. But there are times when I just sometimes think that maybe a dog buggy might be useful. Okay, you're right. When, when his legs get to the stage where it says, I think I've had enough. Oh, I know, you're giving, listen, you're giving a very credible reason as to why sometimes a dog might, doggy, dog with arthritis okay. can't walk long distances. I get that, I exactly. get that. Exactly. Okay. And I mean, I, I, don't, I don't get dressing dogs up. I don't get all the other stuff of uh, putting a tuxedo on a dog for a wedding or dogs getting married. No, no, no. A dog is a dog and a dog is a family member, but it still is, at the end of the day, it's still an animal and it is not a human that needs to be dressed. That's my take on it. <laughs> well Thanks, Diana. Have a great day. Cheers. Okay. You can take get these little, time. has anybody got these little things? They're small little rubbery yolks. They look like a skittle, a large, a large skittle, or they look like, um, how would you describe it? Uh, kind of a rubbery piece of rubber with a hole in it and you shove dog food into it, the little nuggets, you pack them in, pack them in, pack them in. They've got a very small opening at the top then. You put them down on the ground and it will occupy the dog for hours, depending how smart the dog is, literally trying to get the little tiny bits of uh, food out. I mean, some would regard it as being a plaything. I regard it as torture. I think it probably wrecks the dog head trying to get these little bits out of this small little rubber piece of tube. Uh, but... 
it occupies the dog. Apparently, it's, it's something you might use if you have to go away for a little while and want to occupy the dog's mind, trying to get the, tre- the treats out of I'm quite sure you guys know of them. If you don't, they're certainly available. We're all good, I suppose. Dog accessories are sold. Happy to come back to this. Text 0868104106. And God knows there's a lot of other products, I'm quite sure, that I haven't even mentioned. Uh, but it's a multi-billion euro industry. So is back to school, incidentally, with all of the paraphernalia and the accessories and the things you have to buy. I was telling you last week about the mother in the UK who spent two grand getting her son back to school. Uh, Two grand was just to dress him. But the reason for it, of course, was her son would only wear designer gear. Now, who's responsible for that? Like, when you think about it, why would the kid only wear designer gear? Is it pressure from other kids or going around in the best of Adidas and Nikes or, you know... Only fashion label clothing, but that's the way it is nonetheless. I mentioned that actually because uh, kids are heading back to school and all the primaries are back now. And I was telling you about the, uh, well, actually it came back to me as an email because I was talking about, um, you know, parents being told keep your kids away from primary school, particularly if they have colds, coughs, runny noses, sinuses, etc. And I got an email in saying, am I hearing correctly that kids will need to stay at home from creche and school if they have colds, coughs, runny noses, sinuses uh, from September? Uh, are they having a laugh? I have two small kids attending preschool. Then the email was talking about they will interact with 20 other families um, because of the other kids in the class. We have a childminder who has three kids in another primary school. So that could be 90 families that my child will directly and indirectly interact with from September onwards. So maybe 110 Cork families. So there's bound to be coughs, colds, runny noses and sinuses. Because Anna said, I think every child who starts back in creche or school in September has a runny nose. Certainly the creches, runny noses and viral infections in the first few weeks going back. Because a lot of them are interacting with other kids and they pick up these runny noses and viral infections. Don't the government realise how disruptive this is going to be? Uh, giving stupid advice like this to parents. Uh, She said, it's easily known that a lot of public sector workers are still working from home and many haven't gone back to work. It won't impact them as much as the private sector who've been working throughout all of the pandemic. And then she says, I for one will be sending my kids into school even if they have runny noses because I have no choice. I don't have an option. Um, How will I explain to my employer that I'm at home minding sick kids every few weeks? I will have to send them to school with coughs, colds and sniffles. I have bills to pay. So I read that out um, yesterday's program. I have texts and emails on it, but also uh, some calls. Danielle, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Neil? I'm good. And you wanted to respond to that. What did you wish to say? I do, Neil, because to be honest, I'm working in the crest through the whole pandemic and I never once complained about minding people's kids when I was unvaccinated at the start. But people have to understand that if these kids come to school or crest with colds and flus, what about me? The previous weekend, I was sick from a bug that I had caught in work. Was I paid for being in work? No, I wasn't. So the wheel always turns. People need to understand that as well. It's very, very unfair on people's families who are getting sick because of stuff that I'm bringing home. Flus, colds, you know yourself. But that's, that's happening. That's, that's a hazard of your, of, your, of, your, of your employment, isn't it? It is, but in fairness, if a child has a runny nose, it's going to spread. So for every kid not to be sick, do you think you'd keep them out? Oh, so regardless of as to whether the coughs, colds and sniffles are a symptom of COVID, you're saying that the kids shouldn't be going in at all, even if there was no COVID on the planet? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying with everything that's going on, you think if your child was particularly very bad and under the weather any day, 
that you would keep them at home. And that, was, that, that has been the recommendation. But unfortunately, my understanding is that when kids go back to creches or preschool, certainly after the summer, they do pick up colds and sniffles and runny noses and sinus things. And I understand that I myself have been sick since we've come back into the school year, which is understandable. I know kids are going to pick these things up. But you, you have to understand the effect it has on everybody else, not just yourself. And do staff often pick up the colds and the kiffles, coughs and the sniffles of kids? I'm just speaking for myself. I usually would have a very good immune system. I wouldn't pick things up. But I have known of people who every bug or every sniffle that comes into the room, staff do get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anna was saying that she, she works for a living, you see, and she can't be telling her employers that she has to take time off, more time off, more time off. Um, because the child can't go outdoors with the runny nose. She just says, who makes this up? I mean, are they having a laugh? I can completely understand where she's coming from. I myself have a niece and nephew in a crush. And if they're out of work, that means they're my brother is out of work. I can understand that. But you need to understand that it's, it's unfair on the people working there because then we're getting sick and then there's nobody there to mind the kids. Just generally sick or COVID sick? Which is your, what's no, your worry? generally sick. Yeah. And do, do, do crushes or do preschools ask parents to come and collect their children and take them away because they have a runny nose? Not a runny nose, but they do need, if they have two symptoms of COVID. No, I'm saying generally in pre-COVID, if a child went in with a... Not unless they were very, very under the weather. Not, high temperature. not a runny nose? No. Okay, okay. All right, so you're, you're reminding her then that with COVID numbers the way they are and schools reopening, that it makes perfect sense to keep your children away because it's a precaution against COVID. I think so, yeah. But she says she won't. She's going to send them in regardless. You're always going to have people like that, aren't because, you? No, no, because she's got to go to work and pay bills. Can't take time off. I have bills to pay. I have a mortgage to pay. Yeah. When I'm out sick, nobody pays my mortgage. Yeah, true. Okay. You can see oh. how the shoe fits both feet, like. Okay, thanks for that. You're back, are you back working? Kids back in and everything? I'm on my tea break currently. And is it busy? We are, thank God. I'm glad to be back to work. And are there any colds, coughs, runny noses or sniffles? We've had a few. And what have you done? We've sent them home like we've been told to do. And what's the reaction when mammy or daddy comes to pick them up? I have to say now, any parent I've ever dealt with, and I'm working with kids seven years, has been nothing but polite. Interesting text here, actually. Listen to this. It says, they say that it takes a village to raise a child, but these days not everyone has the support of a village or grandparents or neighbours or friends as everyone is working. So a lot of couples are really stuck for childcare options uh, when two parents work. That's why creches are busy. Also, people are having babies older, so grandparents are older and not able to mind or look after the small kids. I feel sorry for your emailer. Sounds like she has no choice but to send her children in. What would you think of that? That not everybody has a backup plan. And I understand it's tough that people don't always have a backup plan, but you have to understand where we're coming from as well. Okay, 
It's about the workers and their safety and the safety of yeah. their families. Okay, well said. Okay. Have you a cup of tea, Danielle? Thanks for taking the call. Cheers. Thank Take you. care. Bye. Bye. Well done. Back after the break. Text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prinderville now. 185104106. Red FM. Okay, just back on our, our pets, particularly dogs. Um, Billy down in Pet Essentials has sent me a photograph of the iced woofen, and it comes in its own little plastic container. It's an iced woofen, and that, of course, is uh, what well, I suppose. It's like we would have a, an iced muffin, I suppose. Another one then is a photograph of a dress with a matching hat for dogs. It's kind of like in pink, check. Um, and it is a dress with fluffy sleeves on it as well for, I guess, the front paws. Uh, it's actually like a dress one of the kids from Mary Poppins would, would actually wear. And then there's a, a, a this is a, called a small dog toy, which is um, uh, a dog toy, but it's actually uh, Donald Trump uh, with all of his hair and his hands and his feet. Apparently people ask for that. They specifically ask for the, um, uh, the, the, the uh, Donald Trump toy. Um, and then I was told of a dog with 1.1 million followers on Instagram, a dog called Tika the Iggy. Um, 1.1 million followers. Um, I would think that that's being very much monetized. I'd say that dog's making serious amounts of money. And a lovely photograph then from Anne-Marie. She says, my five-year-old Cavalier Coco uh, has her own buggy. She has dislocating kneecaps and unfortunately can't walk far but loves being out and about, so it serves a purpose. Here she is on a recent stay in Drum Hall in Killarney, says Anne-Marie. And there is little Coco inside in a very, very cute, bespoke, and quite large, actually, buggy with the hood on it. You know the cover, the uh, drop-down cover on it and handles at the back and all the wheels and everything, and she seems happy as Larry inside in it. Uh, I think we're going to share that on uh, Twitter and Facebook, and you can have a look at uh, little Coco the Cavalier in her own little buggy. So there you go. There you have it. We'll come back to those undoubtedly because um, people love their pets and they love everything to do with pets. Why else would you think that people would uh, go onto a GoFundMe page and raise €10,000 to bring a cat back from Vietnam? People and their pets and their love of whether it's dogs or in this case a cat. Anyway, lines open one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. The things you say to your children to keep them on the straight and narrow. We were talking about the booty man or the boogie man yesterday, and a long list of other things that parents tell their children will happen to them if they don't behave. Derry, good morning. Morning. Now you don't mind me saying your age now, so you don't, Derry. No. Okay, you're 78 years young, but when you were six, around right. about the back end of the 40s and early 50s, tell us that right. story about when you were a little six-year-old. Um, my mother took me to Cork one day. From where? Where did you live? Cork Right. And um, we were going through the coal case, and I must have been acting up. And there was a small little woman across the road, and she says... Um, if you don't behave yourself now, she said, that's Mrs. Bistow over there. Mrs. Bistow? She, 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 Mrs. Bistow. And she sought me out. <laughs> they used to be on the packet long ago. You're probably too young to remember. I remember, it. well, I, I, I still use Bistow gravy, but what was on the packet? A small little man and a woman. And did they look scary? But, well, not really, but I suppose... When when uh, when you were threatened with them, it's gay, yeah. <laughs> and when, uh, 
quiet. You know, so you'd walk on another little bit, and what would happen then? Yeah. I don't know. Do we was a path to see? We were somewhere else anywhere, and there was a small, a small man ahead of us. <laughs> she said, uh, "No, I'm warning you for the last time." She said, "That's Mister Bisto, Mister uh, Mister Bisto's husband." And if I tell him that you're a little brat, I will. You will get a clatter from him, and you'll remember for a long time. <laughs> How did that make you feel? I said, it might have made me a good boy for a while. What anyway. made you feel that Cork City is a very dangerous place to go as a six-year-old? And I said, it was the first time I was ever up there. <laughs> And do you recall it vividly? Like, I mean, we're talking about back end of the forties, the early fifties. Well, when you were when you were talking about it the other day, it came to mind like what uh, the different things the mothers would say to you, and that kind of set out my mind, and it it, it worked for a while. And, uh, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Bisto in Cork who are cruel to children. <laughs> the woman yeah. in the coal K was probably wearing a shawl, was she? Oh, yeah, she was, uh, and it. I don't know if she was in the stall. That's right, yeah. One of the shawlies on the stalls might look a shawl might look a bit scary to a child, I'd say. What do you think? Well, they used to cloaks in Kinsale. That's right, the hooded cloaks. The hooded cloaks, yeah. I remember them. My grandma had one, actually. So you were born and reared in Kinsale, then? Did you live there all your life? No, well, I've talked to about. I left Kinsale when I was about 16. Did you? Where did you go? To uh, I went off to Milford Haven to Ireland. Did you? Oh, so you were fishing out of Milford Haven? Mm Hmm? Fishing out of Milford Haven? Milford Haven for a while, yeah, and then I went to sea after that. With the Navy? No, no, well, the Merchant Navy, early shipping and tankers and that. Did you see the world? I did, but uh, I saw the wall, I saw a big loading. We were, we'd have been in the bad parts of most countries. You'd have been in the what? The bad parts of most countries. You know, the poor parts of most countries, the dock areas. I know, I know. You never got further than the dock wall kind of thing, yeah. yeah. Well, we always were a bit further, but not much further. Yeah, yeah. You're well, are you well retired now? I am. But uh, I was talking to you before I retired. What are you doing with yourself now? Just taking it easy? Enjoying my life with my wife and we've, we're so happy now we have all plastic cups and saucers. <laughs> what? <laughs> what have you got plastic cups and saucers for? Yeah, we got we broke all the other ones so we had to get them. <laughs> There's no breaking those then, shall there's not? <laughs> All right, well, listen, lovely chatting with the Derry. Do All stay right. in touch. Right. Cheers, boy. Mr. Right. and Mrs. Bisto, I love it. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Just writing in regards to that inconsiderate mother whose message you just read out regarding sending her kids to play school, whether they were sick or not. My own mother works as head of a play school in Cork. Every single September, she gets very sick with chest infections and coughs that she always needs at least one trip to the doctor for and at least one steroid antibiotic to clear it. The only reason she gets these chest infections because of inconsiderate mothers who send their sick children to school to infect other kids and staff. 
inconsiderate mothers. I know that this mother has said that she hasn't a choice because she has to work. But what about my mother who ends up having to take time off to recover? What about the pay she is missing out on? And let's remember, play school teachers aren't very well paid anyway. These comments by this mother have actually made my blood boil. Do And this is in capitals. Do not send your sick kids to school for any reason. I'm sick of my mother coughing her lungs up all through the night every September. Please think of others before putting them at risk. Hope you get to read this out. Thanks, Neil. Well, there is a case history of what can result in it. Sending your children to play school and creche, regardless of what they're carrying. James, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Okay, so there's that one. And there was Anna's email who originally said she will have no choice. She's got to go to work to pay bills. Yeah, Neil, I, I, when I'm ringing you about this morning, I actually... I, I've been thinking about this for a long time and I was thinking about combining two um, issues that we're having uh, and that have been spoken about and maybe solving one problem. So you have you have the issue of um, what we're speaking about there now. Um, uh, parents might be, um, you know, uh, backed into a corner with regards to their kids um, sending up to school. Well, they don't have childminders. They may not have family that can help. Yeah. They have both got yeah. to go to work in the mornings and they have no choice. Exactly. And the other thing then, also what I'm going to bring into it is, we've also spoke uh, over the years, especially previously, um, about the age of retirement and, and people being forced, um, whether it's from economic issues or other, to be walking right up into you know, to, to nearly into their death or into their into the time where they physically can't walk anymore. But what I was going to ask you, I, I wrote a bit of a, uh, I, I do a bit of writing myself and I wrote this little piece uh, ages ago and it was about trying to solve this problem. It was it, it was a suggestion to the government. If if you could take, if you gave the, the, the senior people an option of being able to retire a little bit younger but partially retire, so if you if you bear with me a second, what, how young is young? Like retire what age? Well, if if you were to say like the, I think the retirement age now is sixty seven, sixty eight. God knows what it's going to be when mm, I retire. Has it actually? Has that actually been changed yet, though? It's it's. I think it has creeped up Neil over the last four or five years, and it, and it's projected to creep up even more to closer to the age of seventy over the next twenty. Oh, years. in time, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. 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 But my my point is. You have a lot of youth, you have a lot of the youth that are unable to work or don't want to work or unable to do a full week's work. And you have a lot of the elderly that are, are working and are unable to do a full week's work also. So I was, I was thinking of a thing like, it'd be like a tag team system where someone who spent 30 odd years in a job and he's, he's 60 or 61, maybe you could qualify when you're 60 and you could put, you could put your name forward to qualify for this program, whereas, you cut your shifts down from five down to three, and you take a guy who's on the dole, who's eighteen or nineteen, and you incorporate him into the into the elderly man's week's work, and you give that young player two day two day work period, and the social welfare make up his other three days, and vice versa for the elderly man. And who pays who pays the balance of the wages for the sixty one year old who went from five days to three? Well, that, that's what I'm getting to. If he goes from five days to three, maybe the social welfare makes up his two days and let it transition. And over the course of two or three years, maybe the elderly man whose hips could be given out, whose knees could be going out, whose shoulders, and he just physically can't do five days, but he has to. And he's thinking, Jesus, I have another seven or eight years of this. 
So maybe maybe the old man could get at the start, if he's done three days' work, he gets paid from his employer, he gets a bump up from the government to help him to, to come up to a certain So it's like an apprenticeship month. then, isn't it? Kind of, kind of. Now, everyone is not going to be able to... Everyone won't want to qualify, uh, put their hand up. No, they wouldn't, because what What if you had a 61-year-old who loved his or her job? That, that's my point. That's the beauty of it, Neil. It's optional. But it, it can, if it, the option was there, I would guarantee that a lot, a lot of people would go for it. And what it would do, it would free up grandparents or, or, and things like that to maybe help a little bit more with, with, uh, with their kids, uh, helping with their grandkids. And also, it would take a couple of youths that maybe, who, and let's face it, this is something that hasn't been talked about. Like, a lot of people talk about youths that don't want to work. I reckon a lot of them are unable to do a five-day working week. I reckon if you if you built them into Why aren't they able slowly, to? Well, um, for what reason? I, 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 can't put, I couldn't put my hand on that, Neil, because, you know, I, I'm working... Are they afraid of the work? Is it, are there, or do you think that they I, might I be... I there's so, there's so much things for you to do at home now. Like if you if you don't go like, to work, like, if you can go if you can go to work, get out and go to work and support yourself. I know. I mean, I'm not making excuses for them. It is a bit of a grey area, but what I'm saying is there is an issue. There is a, a percentage of youths that won't go to work, and at a certain point in their lives come maybe when they get up into their twenties and they're meeting girls and stuff, and they realise they don't have money or they're friends of cars. They kind of. They kind of they feel like they're forced to it. Now some of them don't, and they end up going down a bad road, or maybe a life of poverty or worse. But that's they, some really of them can can become angry about what they don't have or the opportunities that they were denied. Yeah, but you know when you yeah. do when you have a system like that, then and you have the sixty-one year old, say for instance, working three days, you're asking the taxpayer because it's not the government that pays this; it's people who actually work pay tax to pay right. your man then or, or man I, or woman to it, to I, do nothing for two I, days. Well, I thought of that also, but what I'm saying is a 20-year-old sitting at home is getting X amount off the city anyway, off the government, right? So he's getting, say, a full amount of dole. Well, if he was working and getting paid two days off an employer, then the city are only giving him X amount. They don't pay him the five days. It's, it, it's, no, it's, it's a plan. It's, it's something that I wrote about. It's something I thought of, and in my head it seems brilliant, but it's, it's just like... It's a way of giving an elderly person who can't face a five-day working week because of his health or or because of his... An option to start winding down, yeah. An option to start winding down rather than just, bang, you're retired, you work 40 years, 40 hours a week, now you're doing zero. Okay, actually, that's a very interesting point. What, what it must be like, actually, to be going at 100 miles an hour in your job, and then, you know, when you hit 66, it's like... The brakes, come on, you know. And can, you, can you just hold on, I tell you, can you hold on there, James, if you don't mind? You made some very interesting points. I'm grateful for them. Uh, I'm going to come back after 11, and if anybody has an opinion or a thought or a comment on that, please text 0868104106. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie, and you can join us for the very best in local, national, and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. On housing and house prices, just a quick comment in relation to Thomas Gould talking about selling of houses. I'm talking from the side of uh, regular people who are just trying to sell their house for whatever reason. Why shouldn't they try and be able to get as much for the property as possible? Um, Tommy Gould is dead right. My son has his deposit and a good savings record. But he got a very small mortgage because he was buying on his own. Every house he looked at goes into a bidding war and goes up over 300,000. 
Every one of them. I'm talking about small enough houses with only two bedrooms. Yet every day, all I hear is we need to build social housing for people who can't afford to buy. Why not think about looking after people who work and want to buy their own houses too? It's not just all about social housing. Uh, I've looked at the property um, that you referred to yesterday, and it will sell its at its prime, perhaps for Airbnb. I've stayed in places like it for a few nights at 120 to 140 euro a night. God help anyone who would be living there full time. This was actually a a property, and I I don't mean it in any kind of a disrespectful way. It was brought to my attention by Thomas Gould in the city. It's got, uh, it's just one long room with the kind of a stairs, um, kind of an open plan stairs up to a tiny uh, kind of almost like a loft bed. It's very, very small. It's got one bed. It's got one bath. It has a, a little tiny backyard um, and it's on the market for €175. Euro. When I was shown a photograph of it uh, yesterday before coming on air, Yuma was saying to me, how much would you pay for that? And I said, around about 80, maybe 90, perhaps at a push of 100 grand, uh, but it's on the market for 175000 Now that texter is suggesting that that would be prime for Airbnb as an investment, um, but it wouldn't help somebody who's looking for us. And that, it's interesting because while that tiny little property would go and possibly more from more than 175,000, here's a text from somebody that kind of ties into that. I agree with your TD. Reality for us is getting a house worth 170,000 due to our wages. The main problem you see is getting a deposit. We have a young family, crash fees and rent to pay. It's going to take us the next five years to actually save for a deposit. I'll be in my early 40s getting a mortgage. It's harder and harder for people to even get the deposit together. Well, if you're limited because of your income to 170,000, that kind of ties in with the one bed, one bath, tiny house in the city for 175. And you wouldn't be rearing a family in that that you can be sure. Ask Tommy Gould about the brand new three bed ground floor apartment in Knocknaheeny. No one has moved in and it's there for over a year. In fact, Tommy was referencing yesterday the amount of properties that are dormant and closed up. And many of them have, I think we've got something like 400 council properties that have been renovated and boarded up and haven't been let out. But he said there are 8,000 empty homes, 8,000 empty properties, all sorts of different shapes and sizes, all sorts of different bedrooms, but 8,000 of them in Cork. 8,000. Oh my God, imagine if you could just harness the people who could fix that and turn them all around. Uh, He's saying that city council should start fining and imposing penalties on people who own properties that have not got them letted or holding on to them. Not necessarily derelict properties by any stretch of the imagination, but for reasons best known to themselves, doing absolutely nothing with them. Uh, Lester, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Uh, you? You find it heartbreaking where you live to see um, houses that are just empty and like no lights on, is it? Yeah, we've got two properties straight across the road from us and they're uh, both empty. One since last May 2020 and wow. one since just before Christmas. Okay, so one of them maybe, uh, maybe 15, 16 months and the other one perhaps eight or nine months. Yeah. 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 And did, is it that people just moved out, was it? Yeah, yeah, both of them moved out, both is reallocated somewhere else, and uh, they're just sitting there empty, three-bedroom houses. And are they county council properties? Yeah, both of them. In Balance Spittle? Yeah. And did they go in to do work and refurb them, or did they just lock them and 
send... Well, all we've seen so far is a fellow turns up every now and again, he takes a couple of photos, walks over, walks inside, five minutes later comes out and goes away again. Why does he do that? I mean, what is he doing? I don't know, to be honest. So, fi- so for 15 months, a perfectly habitable county council property has just been locked up and another one, eight or nine months, just been locked up and people are screaming out for places to live. Yeah, and they're next door to each other. So you've got two empty houses, no curtains, no anything, and they're just sitting there idle. And are they in good nick? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I knew both of the, uh, the occupants and... Um, I mean, I'd move in tomorrow morning if I, if, I, if I was looking for a property and I was on a waiting list. It's heartbreaking for somebody listening to that now because I'm quite sure that's just one Cork village. There are probably numerous other villages with similar stories. There must be, yeah. It is, I mean, looking at them just idle is just... I mean, if you've been on a waiting list for years and years, I mean, it's a brilliant little village. It's got everything. Do people come to view it or anything? Is there a for sale sign no. on it? Nothing? No, no, nothing. I imagine your story isn't unique, you know. Oh, what a fool, sir. I don't get it. It's like, would there be three-bedroom, four-bedroom? What, what? Three, uh, I think, I believe they're both three-bedroom houses. So, I mean, they fit a family of four, no problem. So, all, all this guy does is comes along, throws an eye over it and goes away again? Yeah, basically, that's it. There's been no workmen come and go, there's been no anything. Now, look, it could be on the... The list to do. Maybe they haven't got funds. But. Could, could we could we maybe chat with you after midday, and you can give the ex- exact addresses of those properties, and we can ask the county council to explain why. Just as a t- it would would act as a typical example as to why county council properties are just left there like that. You know. Yeah, that'd be no problem. I'd be interested to see what they say. You know the reason they give. All right. All right then. Okay, after midday. Thanks a lot, Lester. Cheers. Yeah. Take care. Uh, All the best. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. I'm sure you guys have other stories. Tommy Gould certainly did yesterday. I'm doing a walkabout with him um, probably in the next couple of weeks. Uh, he'll give me chapter and verse and take me to places. People are just desperate, desperate to get a house or indeed trying to even save for a, a deposit at this stage. Here's an interesting one because it's not unrelated to housing, but I'm wondering how many other people may have fallen into this trap. So this um, this email came in to me from... Um, a girl who, when she was quite young, she says, um, it's been brought to my attention that my credit rating has been affected by a bank that I joined in 2008. Because in 2008, I had just sat my leaving certificate, headed off to University College Cork. During the first week of third level education, I joined a number of clubs and societies. I also joined either the Bank of Ireland or Ulster Bank. I can't remember which one. Uh, There was an incentive in college at the time of lodging one euro and getting something like a pizza for free. So I, along with my pals, signed the dotted lines of opening a bank account outside the main gates of UCC. And I guess you were incentivized to do that because as a student you were getting a free pizza. So there you go. I was completely unaware that there was an overdraft facility on the account. I am assuming that I was being charged fees for having the account active even though I never used it, not once. And that is how it ended up in arrears. I do recall contacting a bank during college to close the account. I then moved to England, teaching in 2014, six years later. Heard nothing from the bank ever since. I've been teaching in Ireland then for the last six years, never contacted by the bank. When my phone rang from my mortgage advisor to say that I had been blacklisted, um... I genuinely could not believe it. All of my accounts are in a very good state. I'm very good at saving money, very good at paying my bills on time. 
I sincerely hope that a mistake I made as an 18-year-old student will not affect my dreams of building a home for me and my family years later. I've worked very hard my entire life. This was a genuine mistake. I've just been granted planning permission and the final part of my dreams coming together was being granted a mortgage to build a house. I'm looking for others who may have found themselves in a similar situation. I came across an article in the Irish Times, Lessons Learned, Why Students Should Read the Small Print on Bank Accounts. I know that I can, I can now be, I, I know I can't now be the only person that has happened to. Do your listeners have any advice how to address the situation? Is it possible to get removed from a credit rating report? Be grateful if you could mention this in your show. Don't give out my details. Just see if anyone can shed some light in the situation or maybe have been in the same one themselves. I'm clutching at straws, desperately looking for help to get out of this situation. Thank you for that. And that's an email. Um, Again, just to recap on that, that's somebody who was a very young student who signed up at the time to get the free pizza. Never used the account, actually. I mean, never got a debit card or a credit card or anything but just that there was an overdraft on it and there were fees that just kept on building over the years that she never, ever, ever paid. I think, did we ask how much the arrears were, I wonder? Did we ever get a figure on the arrears amount? I know we were chatting about that yesterday. Uh, And now when she looks for mortgage, she has been told that she is blacklisted. There is such a thing based on your credit rating. Well, we reached out to Joey Sheehan from uh, mymortgages.ie. He's also also the author of The Mortgage Coach. He had a look at the email Joey, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thanks uh, for having me on. Is this, is, is this exclusive to her or does this happen a lot? Well, firstly, I'd like to empathise with your, your listener, I suppose, by no fault of her own, and by no reckless behaviour or lending, she's found herself in a difficult position. Um, I suppose with any form of credit agreement, be it a bank account, which, which as this lady has highlighted, might have a overdraft attached or with a credit card, or with finance for purchasing furniture in, in one of the big furniture stores, you need to just be very vigilant with what you're signing up to. Oh, I understand that, but we are talking about a student going into first-year college, signed outside the gates of UCC to get a free pizza, forgot about the account, never used it. Agreed, and absolutely, I feel, I feel for this lady, and she obviously wanted the free pizza, as I think I signed up for one of these myself. Back in Say my many day. did, and yeah. And um, obviously, this wasn't made clear that there was an overdraft. It wasn't, you know, she obviously doesn't recall signing any terms and conditions or seeing any terms and conditions. So the first thing I would say to this lady, Neil, is that she needs to go to the centralcreditregister.ie and get a copy of her credit report there and see, firstly, which which lender she's dealing with and what exactly the issue is there. And that's easy to get. There's no, obviously, she'd have to prove who she is and pay a fee, is it? That's a free online service. There's no charge for that. So she can establish exactly what's going on. So all of us can have a look at that to see what our credit ratings are like, can we? Absolutely. So if you have any concerns about any previous credit performance, okay. you can go to centralcreditregister.ie and get a free so, report there. So let's say that she looks at it and she is blacklisted. What does blacklisted mean? Well, obviously, she's being reported as being in arrears. So a bank who's giving out a mortgage, which might be two hundred or three or 400000 will look at somebody's performance and they don't know that this lady just signed up for, you know, a pizza basically and ended up with, a, with an overdraft that she didn't uh, remember signing up to. So she needs to deal with this with the credit institution. So if it is bank ABC, let's say, 
she makes you write that bank, explain her situation. She was unaware that there was, um, you know, an overdraft attached. Just move around, Joey. A lot of trouble with mobiles these days, and I don't want to lose you. So she's looked yeah. at the credit rating report.ie. She found that she is blacklisted. She'll see the amount of the arrears, will she? She will, and she needs to um, write to the bank that the, the issue is with and okay. ask them to rectify it. And if she didn't know what was going on at the time, she needs to highlight that. And if the, there's a genuine mistake here, and if, if you know, she didn't sign up to the overdraft, the bank would be obliged to correct that for her. Well, if she did sign up to it and it was in the small print, that's why the Irish Times is saying lessons learned, why students should read the small, read the small print on banking. Let's say she did sign it. What would get her removed from the credit rating blacklist? Paying the debt? Well, in any case, yes, I would say if, if it's a few hundred euro, for example, I would say pay that immediately. If it's yeah, thousands, though, immediately. may not if be it's thousands. thousands. Well, it, it's, a, it's a different situation, but if it's within your means to pay it, because this will keep following her on and on indefinitely. So let's just say if it was a thousand, I'd, I'd advise pay off the thousand euro, close the account, and at least from today, she's clear going forward. So is there no ombudsman that she can appeal to? I was an 18-year-old college student. I thought I was just... I mean, is it even is it even reckless of a bank to be offering pizza to sign up for an account? Well, I'm not sure what the incentives were back in 2008. To be pizza, honest, what a pizza, she were. said. Yeah, well, it would have hooked me in, to be honest, as well. But I suppose it is what it is now. She needs to correct this. So, so there's no ombudsman that you can appeal to and say, um, you know, this is unfair, no? No. There is, there is but she firstly must make a complaint directly to the financial institution. And if she's not satisfied with their response, then she's fully entitled to go and make a complaint to the ombudsman. Okay, okay. So her hands are somewhat tied, really, in getting away with having to pay the debt. It's best to uh, be interesting to find out how much the arrears are. She, she says she doesn't, I've just heard now, she doesn't even know what the arrears are. She's asked for a credit report from the central bank, but it takes five days. So she doesn't even know yet how much, except that she's got. Yeah. And would the black mark then be removed? Once she, when she clears it, then it's up to date as of today, let's say. And there's some banks that will lend to her within two years after that. Oh, for now, God's sake. That's very unfair. Yeah, oh, it is. But if it's a mistake on the bank's part or there was something not conveyed to her, she, the bank would be obliged to go back and correct it. And correct her credit rating, which would, would solve her problem, you know. Okay, but, okay, but let's say that it, it, she did sign the dotted line that there was. I'm quite sure the bank got her to sign something saying that there was an overdraft facility and she probably just didn't read it. There's a cooling off period of two years because she already has planning permission and the mortgage is the next part. You're saying that regardless of what happens, there's going to be a two-year wait before anyone will touch her. Are there not any kind of banks or institutions now that lend it all to people with bad credit, no? Well, on a case-by-case basis, they can, but it's up to you know us as brokers at my mortgages. We, we would make a case for this lady and say, look, you know, she, she's a teacher now, she's got good income. This was a blip back when she was a student, she was abroad, maybe she didn't receive the correspondence. Um, and us to make a case to say, look, in this case, this lady isn't reckless, this is a once-off, isolated incident, you know, will you consider lending to her? And often banks will, you know, once you can build a profile around So that's the power of the broker, then? Well, we, we, we'd have, we have access to 10 different lenders, Neil, so, you know, I can tell you straight away, five banks won't touch it. Uh, two or three may touch it and two or three might be more amenable. So it's a matter of kind of courses for courses and seeing which bank actually would, would you know, a story like this be palatable. And it sounds reasonable, to be honest. And if she's in a good position now and she's obviously got a site, uh, so she might have equity in the site. So the overall risk to the bank might be quite low. So 
So it's just a matter of um, you know presenting that to. Okay, well let's let's find out what the arrears are. Be good actually if she could hook up with you perhaps, and you might be able to work on her behalf if she's up for that. Would you be okay with that? We'll be delighted, Neil. If we can help her, we'll be delighted. And tell me, you know, with the different ten different institutions that you deal with at this stage now, they must all have very similar interest rates, do they? It varies. So some banks will have cashback offers. Those rates generally will be a little bit higher. Banks that don't have cashback offers generally will be a little bit lower. Some banks, after an initial fixed rate, which might be competitive, might go to much higher variable rate. For example, um, you know, a 350,000 mortgage over 30 years at 60% loan to value, you could be paying um, a variable rate of 3.9%, which would be 16.50 a month. You could switch to a five-year fixed of 1.95 and save you 4,500 annually or 135,000 euro over a 30-year term, which is, just to repeat that, on a 350,000 mortgage over 30 years, switching from one of the higher variable rates, one of the pillar banks, to one of these new low-rate fixed rates with one of the newer lenders, we could save a borrower up to 135,000 euros over 35 years. Insane, isn't it? So the fixed 350 was 1650 a month. What was the other one? What would the other one be a month? Uh, 1284 a month, which is about four and a half grand a year difference. And what, and 1284 and a 350,000 euro mortgage, what's the deposit? So this will be for somebody who already owns the property, who this will be 60% loan to value. So with rising prices, equity might have been built up in their property. So they'd have 40% equity in, in their property. I don't understand any of that. I thought that was for somebody who just wanted to get their first house, no? Well, similar, you know, people, people borrowing... The 1.95 wouldn't be quite as low at 90% loan, but there's huge variance between different lenders um, when you're taking out a loan. So you know, it could be tens of thousands of euro. Okay, but I'm, I'm just trying to find out if, if it's a 10% deposit, as you say, they need to come up with 35 grand. The bank comes up with 350 grand. Is the mortgage per month just under 1,300 a month? Um, it would be it would probably close to the fourteen hundred at ninety percent loan, maybe fourteen hundred a month, and people are paying sixteen, seventeen, eighteen hundred a month in rent. Yeah, or or in payments to, on a higher yeah, exactly to a higher loan. Oh my god! I mean, no wonder they're exasperated looking for properties. I mean, you must get awful stories, sad stories, and people desperate trying to find somewhere to live. Do you? Yeah, well, I think we had one of your listeners a few months back um, went to their own bank and they got approved for roughly one hundred and fifty or sixty thousand. We managed to get some approval for closer to two fifty or sixty, an extra hundred thousand, and the circumstances were the exact same. It just didn't. Re- I remember that story. Well done on that one. You did because what are you going to yeah. buy for one hundred and fifty grand? Well, in the city, very little. You know, you're going to have to move out, but um, at least this couple have an option. I'm not sure have they found something yet, but they have an option of getting something closer to where they want uh, with an extra hundred thousand budget. It's true as well. I'm hearing that because um, actually building materials have gone through the roof over the summer. The cost of all of the different building materials, sometimes about thirty and forty percent, that builders now are many of them are pausing, aren't they? Well, there's been cases reported like that where, you know, it might be as viable for new builds or for doing people buying and doing extensions and doing properties up. The cost has gone up, as you said, 30, 40%. And I, I know we have clients who, you know, give us in costings for a, a relatively small job, maybe 80,000. And now they're coming back and the same costings could be gone up to 100 or 110 or 15,000. And the price of properties are, did I read somewhere that they say that the price of a, a house to buy now is going up by 100 euro per day? Is that just a funky headline or is it true? I suppose depending on, on, on the location, it, it could be in, 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 over the last 
year or so, the pandemic, we didn't know what was going to happen at the start, Neil, what price is going to fall. I think there was a little bit of a pause for a couple of months and then things just seemed to continue on and prices definitely have risen and, and some locations are more desirable than others and they could be well as much as that. Well, who wins out of that though? Is it ultimately the person who is selling the property? Nobody really. Nobody wants an, an, over, an overheated market. And I don't think it's overheated because the fundamentals are very strong. Lending has been prudent across the board by the central bank. Generally speaking, it's three and a half times your income, which is prudent and easily repayable for the majority. And, you know, the the employment in Cork in particular is very sound. And, you know, you need to have your deposit saved. So I don't think it's like... But there are too many people for too few properties. And they're bidding against these international funds that are coming in. And they're also bidding against the councils. Agreed, agreed. And I think the, the, the government is due to publish its, its housing plan uh, next week or, or this week or next week. So hopefully there's something in there for, for all buyers, you know. But what I would say to all buyers is that if you're looking for a mortgage, Bank A might give you X, Bank B might give you X plus 50 grand or 30 grand. Shop around, go to different banks. You might get a much better budget with one bank than another. At least you're giving yourself the best chance, um, you know, to give yourself the best budget to buy what you want. Okay, is it a case that, that, that people don't often enough look at the repayments over the period of the mortgage and they might be find the... What's this cash back? What would a bank give you? You take out a mortgage when they actually give you cash? Yes, yeah, so you can get up to 2%. So if you borrow 250 grand, you can get up to 5,000 cash back from that bank within six or eight weeks of drawing down, it's an incentive. So generally speaking, the rate would be slightly higher than, than the average. Uh, you think, They're oh, getting that five grand back off you over the term of the mortgage. They, they are, but some people don't mind that in the short term because they might need that money for, you know, furnishing the house or different things. There's horses for courses and it makes sense for some people. Other people who've got plenty of deposit and they don't need it, they generally will veer towards the... Oh man, the I know that, I know that. I just find it, like for a young family trying to paddle their own canoe and no disrespect f- to people in wh- any way, shape or form in, in social housing. But you are probably aware that when they build new social housing estates and they build them very high spec now, you know, very climate friendly and wonderful insulation, great electrical installations, brilliantly fitted out. But that the family going into the social house then get a budget to spend um, on kitchen equipment, they will get a budget to spend on furniture, they will get another budget to spend in predetermined shops for uh, carpeting and, and flooring. You're, you're aware of all of that, aren't you? Yeah, and, and it's challenging for people who, who don't maybe fit into that box, but I think, you know, I'd be confident the government will hopefully bring something out that, that'll help everybody. Why don't they help young families then? Yeah, well, hopefully, look, we'll see what, what has to be revealed in the next couple of weeks, and, uh, you know, I'd say to people who are out there buying, you know, keep the faith, you know, keep saving, Get, get your application in, mortgage approval, get it applied, at least you have the approval sitting there, you don't know what's going to come up, you know, keep keep positive, you know, come to the likes of us, we're delighted to help people, okay. get no charge, you know, and, and, and get them, give them the best opportunity of buying a home. Good man, Joey, thanks so much. If that girl wants to hook up with you, I'll make that happen as well, all right? She doesn't know what the arrears are, I hope she doesn't get too much of a fright when she does find out, but thanks for taking the call, as always. Thank you. Cheers. Not the greatest line. My apologies for that. That's Joey Sheehan, the mortgage coach at uh, www.mymortgages.ie. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And keep your stories coming. Text 0868104106. What we don't get to today, we will get to tomorrow. Last uh, week, about a week ago, on a gorgeous sunny day, I cycled out to Curricapon Graveyard. It was a gorgeous trip. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I've been 
saying I'd go out there for a long, long time. Eventually did so. Took some lovely photographs, spent some time out there walking around. Very peaceful, wonderful views right down into the city valley and away to the right up through the Lee way off into the mountains. It was absolutely gorgeous. I knew very little about it. I know that Ronnie Hurley, back in the day, wonderful Cork uh, historian, God rest him, uh, had referenced uh, Cork upon on the air many times, just like he did other cemeteries in Cork. But I got a massive response from it. Even a buddy of mine said, you just, show, you just posted a lovely photograph of my uncle's grave. We buried him there last month with his parents and relatives. Um, and then many other people were talking about their grandparents buried in the old graveyard, and dad buried in the new one. Uh, lovely stories of people about uh, the world's longest and shortest funeral that took place there. Thank you, Lainey Boo. You were absolutely right. I was reading the comments on my Instagram page and many, many people had grandparents and loved ones visiting there. In fact, while I was there, there were also people coming and going. There's a famine plot there, I think, and possibly a plot that's owned by by UCC. Um, I hope Sue doesn't mind me saying, I think there's a famine plot also there and people who gave their bodies up to science are buried there. My uncle was nine years old when he died fishing by the Northgate Bridge in the 50s and he's buried there. Jerome Collins was um, uh, in 1881. He died on a polar expedition and she's referencing the longest funeral that took place. I'll find out more about those in a minute but thank you for that lovely comment to my Instagram, Sue. Um, others then talking about uh, the longest and the shortest as well. Just the sheer beauty of it. Um, it's a lovely, uh, peaceful spot. You should also visit, and somebody's referencing Waterfall Graveyard. And also, I must go up to Cars Hill and hopefully we'll do that soon. But to everybody that did text, thank you. Um, if you donate your body to science, apparently that's where you were buried, says Siobhan. So it would, thought it would be an idea to talk to Dan Breen, the curator of the Cork Public Museum in Fitzgerald's Park up the Mardike Way, um, because he's the man to uh, do the research and tell us all about it. And he joins me by phone. Dan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. And some of the old graves there, and very old, illegible headstones, a lot of them, they're so old, but mm-hmm. they're certainly going back to the early 1700s, aren't they? Oh, I, um, I think it's it's pretty clear that the, the history of the site probably predates that another thousand years, you know. Oh you're, my you're, good you're God. Probably, you're probably going back into the early medieval. The name itself, uh, Capon, there, there are two trains of thought. One refers to, it's probably in Irish, Capchan, um, a homestead of the Little Clearance. Cora probably could refer to the weir or the ford, you know, at the river down in, down in the valley. Um, it seems that it was, a, it was a hilltop that had dense wood and that a clearing was made sometime in the ancient past to, to put a settlement or to put a, a church. Um, the ruins that of the church, the rectangular ruins that are up there at the present... Uh, they can definitely be kind of dated to the 13th century. Oh man, uh, I was way off then. Yeah, well done. Third, and that's that ruins the ruins of the church that's there. Yeah, that's the ruins. But again, it seems from the historical evidence, um, and I'm going on some uh, work that other historians have done in the area. Um, it seems that there are references to the the church needing to be repaired in the 1600s, um, but that it had pretty much fallen out of disrepair by the middle of the 19th century. Now, I believe. Uh, I haven't been up to the graveyard in a long time, but I believe that the um, the oldest legible grave stone up there it dates to 1797, I believe. I think that's the... the uh, and a lot of them look tour. as old and older, but you just can't make them out. But to the early ones, because I did notice a lot of markings there, which are literally upright stones. Um, you know, are, are they the early ones that you're referring to from way, way back, perhaps? Perhaps. Um, 
who knows what's under the ground, you know, what's, what's come before. So um, it, it seems to me that if it, this site has been used for, you know, if, if we conservatively estimate, you know, 7th, 8th century, uh, you know, you're looking at nearly, you know, 1,800 years of just continuous use, burial possibly uh, by, in the local area. So we'll probably never know. Um, but some of those un, unlegible ones could just date back a couple of hundred years just with weathering. They've just been absolutely oh, yeah. and utterly... Yeah. And uh, some people destroyed. have gone back and uh, have done a lot of work on them and restored them as best they can. I just think they're wonderful things. I mean, they're, they're clearly historic in, in many different ways. There's also um, an awful lot of numbering um, all dotted all over what looked like little graves. Does that mean that people can reference uh, a loved one or a descendant from many years back and then cross-reference the number or something to find them? Exactly. I, I believe there are a couple of sites such as find, findagrave.com or .ie. Um, a lot of historians and interested people have, you know, spent a lot of time studying graveyards like Kirkupon, uh, researching, drawing maps, so helping other people find relatives, um, in recent times, actually, um, uh, I know in the last couple of years, the Cork City and County Archives have released the online records of everyone buried there from 1896 to 1962. So re- with resources like that, the graveyards become less mysterious and you can actually, um, they become very useful tools for people. Again, genealogy is, has boomed in the last you know, 20, 30 years. So people yeah. are really trying to find yeah. uh relatives and you know resources like that but it takes the work of you know committed historians and researchers to go in and you know lay it out and to it's just like if you went to any um uh war graves across the continent you know you generally have a there's generally an area at the start of the graveyard where you can go in and find your relative's name and then there's a map that tells you where to go and that's where the grave is so um yeah, it, it, that, that, that's definitely a system there to help people locate graves that can often, in, especially with a, a site that's so ancient, it can be a bit higgledy-piggledy oh, where graves have been put and where what, they are located now, you know. What about the two large significant plots that are there? Uh, there are, because there are two of them, and I posted those photographs on Instagram as well. One of them is, is, is kind of closed off and it has many, many crosses um, one next to the other with somebody's name and just a date and then there's another one another another plot that is erected apparently saying uh, please pray for those who are buried here and it's put up by the Southern Health Board can, can you talk to us about both of those I don't know uh, a great deal about those um, my feeling is um, they're obviously areas connected to possibly um, uh, traumatic periods in our past uh, possibly the famine possibly uh, again uh, Located with scientific research, UCC. It could also be um, graveyards of or burial areas of people who, you know, let's just say, um, didn't have anyone else to bury them. Um, uh, it's quite possible that that's what these areas are for. And but it's again, kept vague for personal privacy reasons. As that, as, that's it. So I, I did I hear that one of the plots was about. was to do with UCC. If one was to donate one's body to UCC. It would be buried in one of those large plots, and then I thought maybe the other one might have been, um, may, may have been people that just had no family. Yes, again, again, that's what I was suspected, but um, you know, a lot of this isn't confirmed or denied, as you said, for privacy reasons. Um, but it, it, it's such a fascinating um, graveyard in itself. Those two plots that you mentioned there are just, you know, a number of other. Uh, significant, you know, as we've mentioned, the famine plot. 
There's also, from what a little bit of research, there's 14 uh, graves up there that are linked with the, um, what are they called, the, uh, the Commonwealth War Graves Commission. So that's at least 14 graves up there uh, related to men. I know that um, there are, the wars. Yeah. which wars though, I wonder? All of them basically going back to nineteenth century, but there there are definitely a couple of family plots up there related to the First World War. Okay. okay. Where 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 father and two sons um are marked and they have these debt pennies on the on the gravestone. So these are pennies that were they're they're nicknamed debt pennies, but these were memorial plaques that were sent out to families of dead people who uh, dead soldiers who uh, died during the First World War. And and many families incorporated those into the grave. Why would they send them a penny? Why would they do that? Well, it's their large. It's a large plaque. Um, they nicknamed them the. the, the oh, it's a nickname. Okay. But they're very large. They're very large kind of memorial plaques with a kind of a, um, a a lion and the name of the. It's very symbolic. It's again. Um, I think the horrific nature of the amount of people who died during the First World War kind of prompted a lot of this um, remembrance of the dead. And uh, this is one of the ways they remembered it. And, and families then incorporated those into, into the graves. Yeah, yeah. And right, and right in the middle of the First World War, then, of course, was the sinking of the Lusitania. And I believe that some people who went down on the Lusitania, I don't know whether it's in the Corocopon grave or whether it's in the Jewish cemetery attached. I believe it's the, it's the Jewish cemetery attached. There was uh, members of the Jewish community... Um, who sadly um, gotcha. died Went during, down on the now, I think it was the closest graveyard I would imagine that they could just get them um, buried as quick as possible uh, Jewish uh, burial rituals are very different to the Christian there, ones there yeah and I couldn't I couldn't visit there because that was locked up but um, so that, that was but what's interesting it, about that is uh, as you know the synagogue closed uh, only in the last five years in 2016 so terrace, yeah. uh, and and uh, uh, Fred Rosehill, the last custodian of the synagogue, one of, of after his death, many members of the Jewish community said one of the most significant contributions he made to the Cork Hebrew congregation in the city was this, this securing uh, Kirk upon uh, under the uh, care of the Cork County Council then, now Cork City Council. Mm. So he knew the community itself was getting smaller and smaller and eventually there would possibly be no Jewish community from the Cork, original Cork Hebrew congregation here to look after the graves. So now that's cared for by the Cork City Council. Um, I think it was a great relief for him and for many members of the community who now don't live in Cork, but who had family members. I know what you're saying, Cork. yeah. The, the response that I got on, on Instagram had an awful lot to do with people's own personal stories, for sure. But also, many referenced the longest and shortest funerals. What, what do you know about those? Mm-hmm. Well, um, the longest uh, is... is, is attributed to um, Jerome Collins. Um, now, for those who don't know Jerome Collins, very interesting, um, incredibly um, interesting person. Uh, he was born in Cork in 1841. He seems to have been um, destined for higher things from a very young age because by the 16, he was working with Sir John Benson, well-known Cork architect for the, you know, who designed the Firkin Crane, the original old Cork Opera House, St. Patrick's Bridge, amongst other many other buildings around the city. Um, and he worked with him as an engineer. And it, it seemed that even within a short space of time, John Benson recognised his talent and had him managing different projects around the city at a very young age. Uh, with time, he immigrated to America. Um, again, uh, eventually um, started to work for... The, with a, a, the Gordon Bennett um, New York Herald, 
So that's where the phrase Gordon Bennett comes from. This guy, Gordon uh, who Bennett. Ran, yeah, exactly. He ran the New York Herald, and he he had a um, he just had this need to publicise the paper, and so he sponsored a lot of you know uh, dramatic and exciting uh, expeditions and things. And one of those was this expedition to the North Pole um, in a ship called the Jeannette. And uh, one thing that uh, uh, Jerome Collins kind of pioneered at the time was meteorology. So he was one of the first meteorologists to send kind of weather reports from America to Europe. And he really pioneered it. And because of that work, he was taken on as a meteorologist on this uh, voyage to the North Pole. Sadly, it was it failed um, almost from the get-go. And I believe, I think uh, only two years after setting out, most of the crew, apart from I think three people, um, perished got stuck and uh, landlocked in ice, um, icebergs and basically tried to make their way find food and ended up dying somewhere out in what we'd now call the Siberian area. My um, God. So, But they found his body, his body was, then? Yes, they did. I think two years later, or two or three years later, the, him and his, uh, the captain and a few other uh, crew men were found and they were brought back. Uh, I believe the journey was... Siberia to Germany, Germany to New York, and then New York to Cork. Wait a second, Siberia to Germany and then over to America? Then over to New York and then back to Cork, yes. So that's why it's called the world's longest funeral. So I think it equated to like 14,700 kilometers so or something there you like have that. The backstory to um, the longest. And the shortest? Well, this... Actually, he has, a, just, on that, just on that topic, he has a, a very beautiful Celtic cross up there to him and his family. It's It's, it's gorgeous. And I met his great, um, and we have, and here's the thing, connection with the museum, on display on permanently here, we have all the contents that were found in his pockets when they found his body in 1884. Oh, I know. You're, you're closed at the moment, aren't you? When are you going to get open? No, no, we're, we're open. open. We're right. open Tuesday to Saturdays, um, 10 to 4, uh, Tuesday to Friday. Oh, forgive me. It's just the last couple of occasions must have been on a Sunday then, because, yeah, okay. So Sundays, yes. Sundays we are. I'm delighted to hear that. Open, yeah. Yet. Delighted to hear that. Okay, well, everybody should get up there, and even if you've been there before, get back because the exhibitions change all the time. So, to the shortest one, then. Well, this is a bit closer in time, and I wasn't really aware of this until I did a small bit of reading, and I believe that 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 claim belongs to a lady called Mary Desmond, who died in 1920. Um, I believe her house, from what I've read, her house, her home, would basically backed on to the. Um, basically ran right next to the uh, Kirkupon Cemetery. Uh, it was a particularly bad day, freezing cold, of the, the, the roads were frozen, the hearse couldn't get up to the house, so I think they said the prayers, took out a window, moved the coffin out through the house and straight into the cemetery. Because two people said that to me, well, a lot more than two, but Sue was saying the same. When her body was placed in the coffin, the family removed the back window looking into the graveyard. The coffin was passed through the window uh, and she was only buried a few feet away from the window of the house. Well, that's it. That's it. And uh, it's such a fascinating graveyard that you can... That with this one place just outside Cork City can claim to have the longest and the shortest funeral, which is just fascinating. It's so worth a visit, isn't it? I just really enjoyed my time there. I hope to get to Cars Hill, the famine grave. I was doing a lot of reading about that last week, about how that contract was originally handed out to an individual. And there was all sorts of grief over it at the time. I won't go into the details of that, but involved, you know, not being cared for properly and the bodies not being buried properly and what have you. That's probably for yeah. another day, but we're, we're just swamped in history, aren't we? 
We are, and you know, there, there's a great publication online put out a number of years ago from uh, the Cork City Council about the burial sites, the historical burial sites around the city, and it's it's available as a PDF online if someone just types in Cork City Council burial sites. Um, it's a fascinating overview of the many historical burial sites just within walking distance of the city. You know, absolutely. I, I think I cycled it from Douglas to Corrigan in forty minutes. You know, that's. That's great. It's, it's probably beat me. It'd probably take me another couple of hours on top of that, Neil. <laughs> not, not cycling, Dan. I've seen you. You're fit as a butcher's dog. Before I let you go, because I, I don't know whether I asked you this before, of everything that you curate at the museum, everything that you have on display and lots more that's not on display, what is your all-time favourite piece? My all-time favourite... Well, it changes very, very radically, you know, depending on what exhibition. But I suppose the one from 2020 that stuck most with me was the pillowcase that Terence McSweeney died on oh, in Brixton man. Prison. We have that here and to be able to hold that, um, I think, just really connects. You know, as a kid in school, you, 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 uh, I loved history, but very often, you know, you can get bogged down in the, in the, in the, pay, in the, the books and the writing and the, you know, having to learn all these facts, figures, but when you just hold an actual object, like oh, a letter that someone that. wrote or yeah. a pillowcase. Yeah. So at the moment, it's the pillowcase, I would say, Neil. Um, it's just such a powerful and potent kind of symbol of, of, of the struggles, but it's such a mundane object. You know, like a pillowcase, it's not that, you know, it's not a, it's not the Arda chalice or anything like that. But again, it's just imbued with this powerful, potent well kind of um, well symbolism, said. you know. Well said, Dan. Pleasure talking to you. Great to catch up. Let's chat again. Thank Thanks you. so much for doing that work. Thanks for your support. Not at all, my friend. Dan Breen, great guy, curator at the Cork Public Museum, open at Fitzgerald's Fis- Park. You know where it is. Go check it out for yourself. Text 0868104106 if you want to contribute to that. I'd love to hear your stories. Back after the break. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850 Okay, a couple of responses from uh, this morning's programme. We started with that very, very, uh, very sad and very disturbing call of a gentleman who was out on the road outside Sarsfields Court and um, I won't go into the graphic details but um, he uh, was lying down on the road and was in a very distressed state. If you were listening to that pro- part of the programme, we got a statement back from Cork Kerry Community Healthcare and this is involving St. Stephen's Sarsfields Court. Uh, they say, we are sorry to hear that someone had the experience you outlined and we hope the person who spoke to you now is feeling well. These were the people who were driving the cars and had to put on the brakes fast and spin the cars out of the way. So they didn't hit the poor man. Uh, they say, as you understand, everyone in our care has an absolute right to privacy and we cannot say or do anything which would compromise that right. Uh, we'd like to stress that in most cases, patients and residents in health facilities are there on a voluntary basis and are, of course, free to leave at any time. Uh, and then they give uh, contacts if people wish to... Um, I'm not suggesting that anybody would want to make a complaint, but they, they show how you can do all of that. Um, I just wondered as to, you know, would they maybe look at... You know, there are arrangements there, but they say that everybody is there or the vast majority are there on a voluntary basis and are free to leave at any time. And then they also send me details of uh, support services, the Samaritans and Pieta House, etc. Uh, but the media, just reminding the media as well, not to identify um, the means of any suicide or any suicide attempts uh, and issues like that. Um, and by, 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 I think that maybe the point has been made if you if you talk about situations like this or stories like this uh, it could um, you know trigger um, issues for other people who might have suicidal ideation and I acknowledge that and, and I do appreciate their their sentiments and thoughts on that one so that's uh, what came back 
Um, then there was one that came from Cork City Council this morning from uh, from housing. And they gave me a lot of facts and figures and stats and the amount of money that Cork City Council has been allocated by government, 24 million in funding to bring back vacant properties into stock uh, and, uh, you know, to you know, plough through the applications on the social housing list. So they've got 24 million in funding in the last five years on that and they added some of their own money to it. But they say that COVID has impacted on the work being undertaken on vacant council housing. Um, and that they were prioritizing ensuring that homeless people had access to emergency accommodation. Uh, so they said that uh, COVID had uh, restricted the work they could do with regards to vacant properties. They also say that through HAP schemes and the like, the council has assisted in making 4,300 properties available to those renting in the private market. So there's an example of how council are also pitching and also going after private rental apartment properties as well as everybody else. And they've got 4,300 of the private market. Uh, I'm not quite sure in what period of time, but there's that and lots more statistics they have said. I might get them an opportunity tomorrow to read out some more of their stats. It's interesting reading, but I'm out of time for now. Our lines will stay open on one 106 Text on any of our stories or anything else that's on your mind. Text 0868104106. Email neil at uh, redfm. .ie. Happy 18th, 18th birthday to Kelly Baker. Celebrates a birthday today. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.